Happy New Year, MD Nation, to everyone out there. It is the 31st, 2020 is almost at the end, and we have a great show in store for you guys here today. I know most redrafts are over, but there are still some few who I like to refer to as the amateur hour leagues out there that do play in the Week 17. However, we will have some DFS twists, and I even have a special guest here for you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, presented to you by Belly Up Sports, because he is Billy Witt, the senior fantasy writer of Belly Up Fantasy, a big reason why Belly Up Fantasy has had so much success this year. Billy, how are you doing today? And thank you for coming on to the show. Hey, I'm doing well, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Awesome. So happy to have you on. A lot of you guys know who follow this show. We don't usually have guests on during the season, but it is the last show of the year. We won't be back again. At least this show won't be back again until March when we have the free agency. We'll talk about the free agency fantasy impacts and we'll now kick off the new year for us in a couple of months from now. But during that time, never fear. We have Belly of Fantasy Sports. We'll be coming back with you with content every single day. We'll be following NBA. We'll be leading the way with dynasty rankings and talk about fantasy football as well. It does not die out then. And the DC's DFS show on Saturday nights will continue throughout the season. We'll be talking about sports betting and, of course, NBA. So you're going to be able to find me in a few different places still. Just this show won't be back again until March. We are talking about Week 17, and we would uh, what would we be without 2020? It's the last week of 2020, and I cannot get through one preview show without having to talk about some COVID news and talk about the top of the hour. So we had the Cleveland Browns today had two more players test positive. Their facility has been closed, and the Atlanta Falcons closed their facility with a positive test. They are moving to a virtual and Cooper Cup, who we are going to talk about later on because we're going to talk about that game as well as every single game because every single game is on Sunday this week. He is expected not to play. Sean McVay's words exactly were pretty much, hey, you know what? We can't talk about it too much, but we don't expect him to play, which is pretty much FYI, the way that coaches go around saying this player tested positive. We don't want to say he tested positive because had he not tested positive, had he just been a high contact tracing, and because he won the COVID list on Monday – he would have plenty of time to come back and be eligible for Sunday. So the fact they're saying he's not going to play, that usually means the player did, in fact, test positive. And the Rams are going to be in dire straits, but we'll talk about that game a little bit later. To kick things off, our first Sunday matchup is going to be the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills. Billy, let's start off the Dolphins' side of the ball. Who are you trusting this week in Week 17, which would be the championship week for whoever's left playing? Yeah, I really like uh, the running back situation for them coming into this game. We got Miles Gaskin back, had a big blow up last week and probably helped you win your championship in week 16. And another guy with the wide receiver position missing some guys and some injury questions, Lynn Bowden Jr. Came in, coming on strong here at the end of this year. Really nice spot start for him in a flex spot or one of your deeper leagues, giving you a nice floor with those receptions. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Lynn Bowden will definitely come in. We don't expect Jakeem Grant to play, as you said. Devontae Parker did come back and practice in a limited capacity yesterday. It sounds as though he might be able to play. And, of course, you have Mike Kosicki, who I have as a top 10 tight end this week for what that is worth. He's been able to be out there. He's at least number one red zone threat. They do plan on starting the game with Tua Tagovailoa, which, while he has been very conservative between the 20s, he is looking for his bigger targets in the red zone, whether it be a Devontae Parker whether it be a Mike Isicki. And, of course, Miles Gaskin. Where will we be without Miles Gaskin right now, who's had a great year when he's been able to be out in the field, that is. I have his RB18 coming in on the week. They could be a lot higher. Now, these rankings will get updated on Billy Fantasy Sports throughout the weekend. The tricky part here is what's Buffalo going to do? Are they going to come out 
because the divisional rival and they have a chance to knock a team out out of the playoffs that's in their division? Are they going to come out and play hard? Or are they going to look at this as, look, we have nothing to gain by winning here other than getting players potentially injured. Do we sit people after the first half? Because from all, all intents and purposes, from what we've heard so far, is that they don't plan on sending anybody at the start. But will they sit these guys at the half? What do you think about that, Billy? I think they're going to play this game trying to win it. Uh, Josh Allen had four passing touchdowns against this team in week two last time they played, really gashed them up. I think they try to come out, make quick work of it, get Stephon Diggs, uh, his his touchdown uh, career high at 10. He's at, at, sitting at eight right now after three touchdown week last week. Uh, but I really think they try to make quick work of them and try to make their defense sit, sit on them. I mean, they're not giving up very many points. Uh, to running backs, their second fewest points to wide receivers. I think they let their defense play and make put some pressure on Tua and try to see if they can't just squeak out a win and get their guys out of there healthy. Yeah, I I, I, th- I tend to agree with you on that one. The, the statement is not even what they did against the Dolphins. The statement to me was last week against the Patriots. There was nothing to gain last week, and they made a point of, we are here to own this division. That's what that struck me as. I expect them to play, which means on the other side, Josh Allen's my number one quarterback this week. We know Patrick Mahomes is going to sit. The Dolphins' secondary, while they're good at getting turnovers, they're not actually great when it comes to yards allowed, when it comes to touchdowns allowed, things of that nature. So I kind of like Josh Allen a lot this week, especially with Stephon Diggs being back there, who's been one of the most consistent wide receiver ones of the season. There's been no doubt about that. He comes in at wide receiver four for me this week. He's been completely healthy. It was not a Clearly, he did not have a foot issue against the Patriots on Monday night football whatsoever with touchdowns out the wazoo uh, coming in through for what was real people and professional fantasy football championships last week, unlike you amateur hour people out there, which we're talking to today. Yes, I poke fun at you. We're still here, though. If I didn't care about you, we wouldn't be doing this show on week 17. So don't worry. We are still here. And because I want to talk about a little bit of a DFS angle, this has got to be the top stack of the week. What do you think, Bill? I, I definitely agree with you there. There's no way you can go against them. 400 yards with four touchdowns last time these teams met. And Josh Allen's just gotten better week by week. And him and Stephon Diggs, the rapport that they've built, is, is one of the best duos in the NFL. And it's going to be for years to come. Coming into this year, when Stephon Diggs got traded to Buffalo, we were questioning whether or not he would work in this offense. Well, guess what, guys? He works really well in this offense. And, and he's at eight touchdowns, to career high in nine. He's trying to make a point. He's already career high in yards, receptions. They, last week, they pushed to get Josh Allen that franchise record in touchdowns. Uh, so I think they go ahead and they get him a couple touchdowns fast. Plus, he's the main option in, the, in this offense. They're going to be without John Brown again. Gabriel Davis is flashing too. Great DFS spot for him. He's going to be a lower budget guy for you there too. So I really think the Bills can come out and, and score early, score fast, and get their guys out of this game. And the way they're cruising right now, I don't think they want to sit too much being an inexperienced team heading into the postseason. Yeah, I agree with you there. And the other thing to keep in mind is Cole Beasley's probably not going to play in this game. As you mentioned with Gabriel Davis there, he's going to be a nice little pickup. I think the only thing, other thing that maybe some people are asking because we only have running backs sitting, can you play a Buffalo Bill running back? I have them both as nothing more than low-end RB3's tops because they cut into each other so much. I don't really want to trust it, but you can run on the Miami Dolphins. Are you going to play a running back at all, Billy? If I were to play a running back, it would be Zach Moss, and here's the reason why. When they get in the red zone, he's the guy who gets the touches. Yeah, Singletary cuts into his production and puts kind of a ceiling on that, but if you need touchdowns or you're in a touchdown-dependent league, uh, Zach Moss is the guy that you'd like to have in your lineup. But still, an RB3, maybe a middle-of-the-road flex option for me there as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think you can – even in this week, in Week 17, which is 
it's the wild, wild west when it comes to rankings, because who knows who's going to play, how much, at all, whatever the case may be. However, I still think you can find better value this week than a Buffalo Bills running back, or at least something more that you can trust that you're looking for your championship weeks is what we're, what we're talking about in today's matchup. So let's move on into our next game here, which should be a blowout, but this team's been playing kind of tough recently. We're talking about the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals in this one. Ravens should blow this game out. Their physical bully style of football, the Bengals are a lesser team. However, the Bengals coming off a two-game win streak inexplicably somehow. And now we have the Ravens, though, have something to play for. They have to win this game. And they're not going to know if they're going to make the playoffs until later on in the day, even after this game is over. So they know they have to win. So at the very least, for the first half, they are going to be full-blown. All the starters go. Maybe if they're blowing them out by then, we might see them bench some people. But they do have to win this game. So there's going to be an effort on that. I have Lamar Jackson as a top 10 quarterback. Should be no surprise there. They're finally unleashing him, letting him run around. J.K. Dobbins is a top 10 running back for me this week. And Gus Edwards is an RB2 for me this week. I think you can play both of these guys in your lineups with the way that are carrying the football. Marquise Brown's a wide receiver too. And Mark Andrews is in my top five as far as tight ends. Is there anything there that you disagree with, Billy? No, I really like the Ravens this week. They're playing for something, and they're trying to make a point, and they're not going to let this Bengals team sneak up on them like the Steelers did. Like you said, J.K. Dobbins, high-end running back coming down the back stretch of this year, five consecutive games with a touchdown, and Cincinnati's allowed a couple touchdowns receiving and rushing in the last month, and they really haven't been hit by anybody that's too talented in, out of anybody's backfield. You mentioned Hollywood Brown, really a slow start. A guy people were starting to bail on here right before the playoffs, but I told you not to because he had one of the most favorable schedules in the playoffs, and he scored almost every week here down the stretch um they're they're looking to make a point here at cincinnati and they're looking to put teams on notice as they move into their playoff push here late in this season yeah and like i said people are like well wait a minute they beat those pittsburgh steelers they beat the houston texans last week look there's this is where style of football matters the physical bully style of the baltimore ravens does not normally allow lesser teams to actually be able to win now look at this entire season the ravens have struggled offensively i've had my issues with greg roman i've aired them out on this show everything going on with their with the play calling with the rotation of the backs and everything like that but because they play a tough physical bully style of ball what lesser team has beaten the ravens this season it hasn't happened They've lost the teams that are equal in talent or better in talent. They don't lose the teams that are lesser in talent. And it's all going to stem from Lamar Jackson running, J.K. Dobbins running, and Gus Edwards running. And you may see a bomb in there with Marquise Brown. I do like Mark Andrews for a touchdown here. I like the Baltimore Ravens for 40 points themselves in this game against the Cincinnati Bengals, which means all your fantasy football purposes, they should be able to eat. So we will be able to play the Baltimore Ravens with a lot of confidence However, on the Cincinnati Bengals side of the ball, I'm not confident really in anybody. I don't care what I've been seeing as of late. The Ravens defense is getting healthier right now. I do have T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd ranked in that top-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two territory, just out of garbage time necessity. I'm not touching Giovanni Bernard, and I don't even know what else you would even consider on the Cincinnati Bengals. Anyway, what do you think, Bill? Yeah, the Brandon Allen honeymoon's over. Two consecutive games with 75% completions or better, multiple touchdowns, no picks. That's going to change. He's going to throw picks against this defense. They're going to get in his face. They're going to put pressure on him. Maybe Gio has a bit of a floor with some pass catching out of the dump offs, but I don't see him racking up a lot of yards, and I don't see them getting too many trips to the red zone, giving him kind of a gimme touchdown. 
Uh, also, Samaje Piran kind of came in the game and showed that he's kind of worthy of some more carries as well. So it kind of caps the optimism that we had with Geo coming into this week. Uh, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, you're probably playing them just where you have them on your roster. But I would temper expectations. I don't expect them to have a whole lot of whole lot of stats racking up in this game. Maybe a decent floor with you know five or six catches for T. Higgins, but Tyler Boyd, I'm not real excited about him. He hasn't been playing that well lately. Now, you're, you're talking about a floor play. You're talk, you know that these guys will get targets. You know they'll get volume. You know there's a good chance for garbage time in the fourth quarter. That's where you're hoping you're going to get your fancy points. To your point, Billy, you may just not have a better option, which is very could very plausibly be depending on what your lineup construction is heading into this week. That's why they still come in as a top-end wide receiver three for me, borderline wide receiver two, because they are playable options. But I'm not expecting ceiling plays whatsoever. You're hoping T.A. against – falls into the end zone, nothing else in this one. With Bernard, I hate Samadji Perrine because he's just – he's a bum. He's garbage. I'm so sick and tired of watching this guy get 10 carries. But the fact of the matter is he is. And then ultimately, that's what eats into Jemai Bernard. Because if you're going to tell me Bernard gets 25 carries like he did against the Pittsburgh Steelers along with four to five receptions in that game, then, yeah, you know what? I could actually play Bernard as a flex play even against the Baltimore Ravens. But because I have to watch Perrine against the Houston Texans get 10 carries for inexplicably no reason, I know he went off. I don't care. This guy is a practice squad guy. He's nothing more. I'm tired of watching bottom-tier talent go off late in the season where we have to actually watch these guys, and it's hurting my eyes by seeing them on the field. But Samaji Piran will be a factor, and that's what killed Jeremiah Bernard the end day, which could have some fantasy value. But let's stay in the AFC North. Let's talk about the Steelers. Let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are in dire straits right now. They're having a lot of COVID issues. We kicked off the show, letting you guys know their team facilities are closed. They have everything on the line this week. The Steelers do not. However, the Steelers are only benching Ben Roethlisberger. They're not benching anybody else. Everybody else is full go. Everybody on the defense, everybody else on the offense. The only person who's going to be resting is Ben Roethlisberger. So with the Cleveland Browns, and just keep in mind, we have two more players that tested positive. We don't know who they are yet. So we have to keep that in mind as well. But with the Cleveland Browns, with them having more on the line, do you trust the Nick Chubb? Do you trust the Kareem Hunt? Two players, by the way, which have had tough goes the last two weeks against the Giants and the Jets. Yeah, the Browns I'm not real excited about, but Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to be the keys to them winning this game if they can. The Steelers secondary is pretty good, and with these receivers missing practice and things like that, they're not. none of them are really playing all that well to begin with for Baker. Baker got hot there a little bit, but he's really kind of came back to earth, especially last week. Just looked absolutely terrible, obviously, without his wide receiving core out there, but the Browns, I feel like they might still be in trouble, even with the Steelers resting their offense. They're going to be able to move the ball a little bit on the Browns' defense. There's nothing formidable on that side of the ball for Cleveland. However, I feel like Pittsburgh thinks they can win this game with their defense, and it might be enough to get it done, especially if they get in Baker's face. When he's uncomfortable, he's a very pedestrian quarterback. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, I'll, I'll caveat with this. We do expect Jarvis Landry to be back. We do expect Rashard Higgins to be back. They will have Austin Hooper. They're not going to have Harrison Bryant, but they will have Austin Hooper, and they will have uh, David Njoku. So all those things should be available for the Cleveland Browns heading into this matchup. And I have Nick – look, I have Nick Chubb as RB17. I have Kareem Hunt as RB25. And usually speaking, I have Nick Chubb within the top 10. The issue that I'm having here is that after watching this offensive line, which is a little bit banged up right now, struggle against the Giants, which you have a decent running attack – Struggle against the Jets, which I guess also do have a decent running attack. But these teams are still teams that if you're a Kevin Stefanski-led offense, 
with a Nick Chubb, with a Kareem Hunt, with the way you've been able to run the football all season long, you shouldn't have had as much trouble as you had. Last week, I don't know what that was. I don't know what play calling they were going by. You lost all receivers, and your game plan to that was, let's run the ball 12 times. I don't understand what that was. But the Pittsburgh Steelers lately, they've been susceptible against the run. Jonathan Taylor had a nice game last week and had the Colts not stop giving him the football in the second half. He might have had an even bigger game. Teams, Genoa Bernard had a big game against them a couple of weeks ago. Running backs have been able to have this defense lately since they've been having trouble at the inside linebacker position. The Cleveland Browns have to take advantage of that. If they're unable to take advantage of that, to your point, they might lose this game and lose out of the playoffs a team that really should be in there. And this would be a horrible, horrible time for that to happen. But as far as your fantasy lineups go, you're not going to have a better option, Nick Chubb. I don't know if you're going to have a better option than Kareem Hunt. I doubt that you would. I don't know if you're going to have a better option necessarily than an Austin Hooper unless you have a George Kittle this week. Remember, Travis Kelsey's not playing. So Austin Hooper came into my top 12 this week as far as tight ends go. Jarvis Landry is a wide receiver 15 for me. You can play these key guys. Wide receivers have had success against Pittsburgh Steelers, especially on the perimeter. Even Richard Higgins, I think, can be a boom or bust option. I may be looking at him more in DFS, but he may be a boom or bust option as well. And then on the Steelers' side of the ball, I'm only playing one player, and maybe. I don't even know if I would want to do this, but James Conner comes in at an RB3 for me, so he's a flex consideration because you can run on the Cleveland Browns because I think they will run the ball more that Mason Rudolph is at the quarterback position. But I'm not trusting any of the pass catchers Mason Rudolph back there. Yeah, I'm not either. I, I, Mason Rudolph, I expect Miles Garrett to really crank it up to go get him just based on the last matchup where we saw that drama unfold last year. There's still a little bit of chip on his shoulder for how that all worked out. But, yeah, James Conner, I mean, two back-to-back games, he, he hasn't been over 25 yards rushing. He's going to need some carries to get that going, and the, and the Steelers just seem to abandon the run. Uh, as far as the passing game goes, I'm not expecting a whole lot, and I'm not even sure who's going to really be in the game. Uh, you know, Chase Claypool will probably get some time. Maybe he has a decent floor for you. If you have him on your lineup, you may be plugging him in just based on your situation, but I'm not that excited about it with Mason Rudolph under center. Yeah, how could, how could you? We watched this last year for how many games of just being a completely anemic offense with Mason Rudolph. The only thing I enjoy about this is I just I want to see if Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph throw down the middle of the field again. That's all I really care about when it comes to this game as far as that goes. Moving on, though, talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Talk about the Detroit Lions. Dalvin Cook, unfortunately, I hope everything's okay with them, but he had a family emergency. He's going to be out this week. Uh, they let him go, excused absence for the entire week. That means Alexander Madison steps in because he's coming off the concussion injury. They do expect him to be full go. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, these are all the fantasy guys you're looking at. Kirk Cousins should be a streaming quarterback. The question is how high do you go on these guys? And I'm, I'm big. I'm, I'm going all in. It's the Detroit Lions first and foremost. I haven't seen them be able to stop any running back from doing anything. I know Alexander Madison has actually been kind of disappointing when given the opportunity to start for a Dalvin Cook, but I think he takes advantage of this one. I think he comes through in this one. I think he sets the pace and wants to show what he can do, what he can be moving on to the future because his future is on the line here because he's not going to get many opportunities playing behind Dalvin Cook. I have him as a top five running back this week purely based on matchup because that's why how high he is for me, even though he's had some historical troubles. I got Justin Jefferson as wide receiver two. I got Adam Thielen as wide receiver eight which means Kirk Cousins comes into my top 12 quarterbacks as well. He's not as high as you would think, but these guys against the Detroit Lions, a team in which Mike Zimmer 
has to prove a point. He has to show that he can still be his divisional rivals heading into next season. Otherwise, he might not get fired this year, but he'll start next year on the hot seat if they don't win this game. They do have something on the line, even though it's a non-playoff matchup. Talk to me about the Minnesota Vikings, and do you think I'm too high on these guys? I don't. Adam Thielen comes into the game 123 yards shy of 1,000. I think he gets it. And Justin Jefferson's trying to break the rookie record for receiving yards in the, in the season, too. These guys are great. They fit together well. I mean, if, if the, nobody imagined that Justin Jefferson was going to come in and replace Stephon Diggs and actually be more productive in this offense, and he's done just that. With the guy that not a lot of us give a ton of respect with Kirk Cousins, I think they go out with one last bang here. This team, this uh, Detroit Lions defense has been absolutely pathetic against the wide receiver position, giving up 929 yards and eight touchdowns over the last four weeks, and I don't see any reason why they have a chance at slowing these guys down. No playoff spot on the line for the Vikings, but they are playing for pride, and these guys want to get these numbers, and they definitely don't want to end up with an even match record with this Detroit Lions team. I think they try to smash them, and and I think Alexander Madison, to your point, he's a great play this week. This is a really good running back. We've seen him be really productive when he's came in for Dalvin Cook in relief. We've also seen when Dalvin Cook's been injured that he can maintain the running game for this offense and keep it going. They do base a lot of things that Kevin Stefanski still has his fingerprints all over this offense with the play action stuff. So I really think you're right where you need to be. These guys may end up being both top five wide receivers with this is all said and done. They want to go out with a bang this week, in my opinion. Yeah, we're right there on the same page. And just as a spoiler alert for Saturday's show for the DC's DFS, Alexander Madison is going to be my free space when it comes to DraftKings, when it comes to FanDuel. I don't know if you're going to find a better value out there if you're looking in that direction. Let's have a little fun. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, who is going to go higher in next year's draft? I think Jefferson goes higher. Younger guy coming off the recency bias. And I think people just love themselves a new story and they're going to want to get their hands on him a little faster. We've seen what Adam Thielen is and he's a very consistent wide receiver. However, I feel like guys will kind of sleep on him a little bit because of the excitement that Justin Jefferson's brought. Well, that, and you have to add to the caveat that since week three, which I believe is the week that Justin Jefferson finally started starting since then, he's had more targets than Adam Thielen. Now Adam Thielen has been more touchdown uh, relative, which has kind of kept them even as far as their fantasy value goes. But Jefferson's been the yard guy. He's been the target guy. He's been the reception guy. If you're in PPR leagues, you wanted to go with Justin Jefferson over at Adam Thielen. I myself have never been a huge Adam Thielen fan. I know he's good at touchdowns. I know he's a solid guy, but he's really boring to watch. And Justin Jefferson's a lot more exciting. I'm loving me some Justin Jefferson next year. I think my only real question is going to be, and we'll do these rankings, you know, all throughout the offseason, is am I going to have him in the second round or am I going to have him a little bit lower than that? And I don't know. I don't know if I'm not going to have him not in my top 12 come next season. He might be right there with the wide receiver ones. There's a lot of wide receivers, though, that are going to be right there. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, I think he's going to be right on the fringe of that end of your round one wide receivers, early round two guys. Well, I guess that ranking of the low end wide receiver one, low end, wide, high end wide receiver twos. But there's going to be guys in your leagues that are going to overdraft this guy, too. So be careful not to reach for him. We know what his production can be. But, however, they're going to have a quarterback difference coming in next year. They may not be with Kirk Cousins, so there might be a little bit of difference going in. However, if you have a Vikings fan or an LSU fan, this guy could get drafted as kind of that wide receiver 8 to 10 range also. I see that I see that very probable. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a guy that could easily be a sand trap. To your point, we don't know if Kirk Cousins is coming back. But on another caveat, even if they, Kirk Cousins does come back, this Minnesota defense is not as bad as it played last year. They had a lot of guys get injured early on. Mike Zimmer's a good defensive coach. 
if their defense gets back up to snuff, mm-hmm. they're not going to be in situations where they had to throw like they did this season, which is also going to talk about the volume there. Justin Jefferson is still going to be great from a fantasy standpoint. Adam Thielen will still be great from a fantasy standpoint because it's the only two. So even if they have low volume, these are the two guys getting the volume. That's what you can consider. But there are a lot of things next year where I think Justin Jefferson might be an overdraft candidate for sure. One guy in the Minnesota Vikings we didn't mention for this matchup, and that's my fault because we definitely should have. Kyle Rudolph is out. Irv Smith Jr., when you're looking at tight ends, Irv Smith Jr. to me is a top five tight end this week. When you're looking to stream options, he's been in the end zone pretty consistently. Your options get a little bit limited this week with some guys sitting out. Yeah, I'm big on Irv Smith this week, too, against the Detroit Lions as well. Yeah, I really like Irv Smith now and going into next season. I think he's going to be one of those guys that people are reaching to grab as we did like a Mike Gusecki. Everybody's going to be touting this guy. And if you haven't paid much attention to Irv Smith, you may want to start. Three consecutive games with four-plus receptions. And two of the last three games, he's had 50-plus yards and a touchdown. Definitely working his way into this offense with the absence of Kyle Rudolph. And this is a guy that we've all been kind of waiting to see him take those strides in this offense. And I think it's starting to happen now. Yeah. I want to agree with you. I really do. I love Irv Smith. I love his talents. I love what he could be in this offense. But as long as the annoying man himself, Kyle Rudolph, is still a part of this game plan, it just limits the volume that he's going to get because Rudolph's going to be on the field more times than not because he's going to be the better blocker. And with Gary Kubiak, while he typically will in his career get that one tight end the ball, it's usually the tight end who also blocks. So there should be a change in the guard next season. I don't necessarily trust that there will be in the coaching staff. So that's something we're going to have to examine really closely throughout the offseason to see which way the Vikings are trending. And as always with the MC's Family Football Show, when we get into June and July, we get beat writers from every single NFL team. We'll talk to these guys in the Minnesota Vikings and see what's going on. Because hopefully, fingers crossed, 2021, we should actually have OTAs, I would imagine, for an offseason, hopefully speaking. So maybe we'll actually get some insider information before we head into our drafts come late August. Just just maybe, just maybe to make things a little bit easier. We'll see. But I do want to talk about the Detroit Lions here. The only guy I trust to play is DeAndre Swift because we're not, we're not expecting Matthew Stafford to play. There's no reason for him to play. Kenny Galladay is already gone. DeAndre Swift could be looking at a lot of volume. I think they actually might make a point to give DeAndre Swift the ball a lot this week to see, hey, can you be the bell cow guy? This is the perfect time to see going into next season, get his confidence going. He know he's going to be the guy next year for this team. Be the bell cow guy. Be Do what you can do. I have him as a top six running back this week. Everybody else, and yes, Marvin Jones is ranked as a wide receiver three. I don't love it. I don't, I don't care if it's Chase Daniels, David Blau. It doesn't matter to me. You're not going to let – you're hoping for one touchdown out of him. And the same thing with TJ Hawkinson. I have him as a top 12 tight end. He might see the most targets as far as all the pass catchers go. But, again, another guy I think you're just praying and hoping for a touchdown this week. The only guy I want to play, I'm excited to watch play, would be DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Now, I'm an Iowa boy. I love TJ Hawkinson, but without Matthew Stafford, there's just there's a real low ceiling for him. And, and you know, and that's around that four catch, 40 yard range, unless they somehow get in the red zone and they run play action off of Swift and he scores a touchdown. But we're not going to bank on that, uh, you know, this week without without Matthew Stafford. It's just a real hard situation for you. But DeAndre Swift, to your point, four out of five games, double digit carries. He's had Almost every game, he's over four, nearing five yards of carry, seven touchdowns over that span, rushing and receiving. This guy's going to be a good back in this offense, uh, assuming Matthew Stafford sticks around. And I, I like him this week. Uh, I just 
John Smith's a guy I love. And if you watched the game last week, he really started to flash as he got more and more carries, getting in the open field, making guys miss. This is a good player, and I think he has a really good week this week as they feed him. It might be his first game where he gets into that 20-carry, 20 25-touch range. It would be really interesting to see what he can put up. Yeah, that's what I want to see. I was a big DeAndre Swift fan. I thought he was the best running back coming out of the draft class. I thought the Chiefs made a mistake by not drafting him and drafting CEH instead. He just has the skill set that you're looking for. I think he can be a game changer. Do I worry about him as a guy potentially getting, you know, 300 touches? Sure, yeah. He's not really necessarily built that way, but he can do it all from a lot of different angles. Swift is somebody who's very much, especially if they address this offensive line, is very much going to be on my radar next season as a guy that I could probably get as an RB2, maybe maybe even a lower-end RB2 because people are going to be wondering about the Detroit Lions in general next season. Are they going to have Matthew Stafford? Are they going to have Kenny Galladay? These are things that are going to be up in the air when it comes to the Detroit Lions. He's an RB2 with RB1 type potential given his ability next year. So I'm excited about him next year. I'm excited about him this week. What we're going to do now, though, we're going to take a quick break. We have a lot more games to get to on the other side. Remember, we're previewing all of week 17 for you guys here today. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, right after this. Happy, happy new year. Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and I am joined here with special guest, Mr. Billy Witt, senior fantasy writer of Belly Up Fantasy Sports. And we've just been talking about the Week 17 preview show. It's a two-hour special today. We're on here for another hour and a half. We're just talking about these games, getting them all good to go, because I'm not going to be here New Year's Day, because I plan on getting plowed tonight, along with everybody else. So... That's why we wanted to get all these games in today. That's why I wanted to kick off. I wanted to actually, that was the other thing. I wanted to end this show for this season, which was a successful season, the last day of 2020. And it was only successful because of you at MD Nation, the support you guys have shown me, the downloads, the listens, the views, the, 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 the questions all year long. It, it's, it's what's made this show now. It's what's going to make this show even better next year. I'm very excited for the new things that I have in store for you guys heading into next year. And I'm very happy for the sport you've shown the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and for Belly Up Fantasy Sports. So I don't want to miss that because you guys have been the key as to why this show goes and why this show does what it does. But we're talking about Week 17 preview. We're talking about the New York Jets. We're talking about the New England Patriots coming out of the break. And this could look at as a fantasy desolate lamb. Because, but because these it's these two teams playing each other, there actually is a little bit more fantasy value than there typically would be had this been any other week. I do have Jameson Crowder as a as wide receiver 25 for me on the week. So high-end wide receiver three, just missing that low-end wide receiver two territory. Could be higher than that. The Patriots don't have Stephon Gilmore. It's just it's the factor of it's Sam Darnold. It's the factor of that. I, think I could see this game being a 17-10 to 10 type of ugly uh, little matchup here. But Michael Perrine, we don't know if he's going to play because he's still on the COVID list as of right now. He could be activated, but we don't know for sure. We know Frank Gore is definitely out. If those two are definitely, we know Frank Gore is, but if Perrine's also out, then Ty Johnson could be somebody who comes onto my radar as a flex play quite possibly here. Is there anybody else I'm missing on the Jets, Bill? You know, not really. I mean, there's not a whole lot of uh, anything to be too excited about, especially without Frank Gore kind of holding down that run game. Ty Johnson's not a bad option. I'm really high on Jamison Crowder, though. I really like him. He's a guy that gets a lot of double-digit target games when Sam Donald's in the game and healthy. 
a la Jarvis Landry in this Adam Gase offense. And we saw what, what Crowder can do when he really puts a real nice game together last week. Uh, they do a lot of fun stuff with him, too. I'm really high on Crowder this week. I think he could have a big game. Crowder has to be literally the only player in the NFL who would actually miss Adam Gase because of the slot receiver. The emphasis between the It's the perfect story between Sam Darnold being captain checkdown and Adam Gase not knowing how to get anybody besides a slot receiver open in his offense. He is the only guy that I can imagine is going to miss Adam Gase. And I was having a joke with this in the, uh, the Slack channel that we have uh, at Belly Up Sports in the football department. And my joke was like, hey, you know what? If I can find a sports book that's going to give me some good odds on Adam Gase retaining his job, I'll put $10 on that. It's not a bet I'm going to feel good about winning, but I'll put $10 on that because if they win this game, I think the Jets are so stupid, stupid enough, that they would actually contemplate. Now, I know the report is that he's saying his goodbyes, that they've already informed him he's going to be gone, but it's not official yet. And I know how this Jets ownership works. I would be tickled pink if I had another year of making fun of Adam Gase. Billy, is there any chance my dream could come true? I sure hope not. This guy shouldn't be coaching even at the college level. We've seen his offense just continue to sputter. He's taken responsibility for Darnold's development, the offense being last in the league the last two seasons. And in my opinion, if you're if you're taking responsibility for that, then you need to be held accountable for that. The Jets have a high draft pick. They've got a lot of options of what they can do with that draft pick this offseason. And I don't think they're going to let uh, Adam Gase have that pick in his hand and have any input on what they do in the upcoming season. Now, see, Billy, the answer you just gave is is the logical, sensible reasonable answer the correct answer it's the answer that should happen but this is the new york jets anything can, anything is possible and i know new york jets fans listening to this show and there's a lot of them on the worldwide sports radio network are cursing my name up and down right now but you know what i just want to see chaos that's it i just want to see chaos next year and i want to be able to continue to make fun of this guy but no in all seriousness if the jets are ever to be fantasy relevant nfl relevant any any kind of relevancy you want to put to it whatsoever adam Gase has to go and in my opinion Sam Darnold has to go too a lot of things are going to be up in the air for in the offseason but you guys already screwed yourselves because you can't get Trevor Lawrence anymore because you managed to win two games the only thing Adam Gase was supposed to do for you was go 0 and 16 and he couldn't even do that on New England Patriots side of the ball now because of the Jets maybe maybe I'm looking at Jacoby Myers because of the target volume that he has had as a low-end flex play with maybe a floor if you're talking about half-point, full-point PPR leagues. I maybe, maybe looking at a Sony Michelle if he's going to get maybe 15 carries this week because is a game that should not get too far out of hand one way or another, like the games have gotten out of hand for the New England Patriots as of late. And maybe if I'm desperate, maybe I would look at streaming quarterback Cam Newton, who is going to get the start, maybe just on the hope and prayer that he runs in a couple of touchdowns. But ultimately, if I can avoid a Patriot player, I am. Bill, where are you at on that? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Sonny Michelle looked pretty good last week, getting some good runs, busting off some yards. But however, this Jets defense has been a little bit tougher against running backs than people think. They're in the bottom 10 in points allowed, uh, under 400 yards total in the last month from the running back position, they really got gashed at the beginning of the, of the year by the 49ers, who they were really aided by long runs, ripping off long runs. So it's kind of misleading on the stat sheet as well. And the only 100-yard rush they've had is Melvin, they've allowed is Melvin Gordon all the way back in week four. I mean, last week, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb both scored touchdowns, but both guys were under three yards of carry. And uh, Cam Akers, 
15 carries for 63 yards the week before. That's really about the best day they've given up other than the Seahawks, Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, which they did a lot of their damage in garbage time. Last time these two teams met, the Jets took a 10-point lead into the fourth quarter and blew it. So I, I, I think that the, the Patriots might be in a little bit of trouble here, and the Jets keep winning games and trying to move further down in this draft stock. Uh, I think the, just the way they match up with the Patriots is really funny with the one-dimensional offense that is the Patriots. Your point of, of, of uh, Jakeem, Jacoby Myers, I really like him. He's a pretty good player, gets a lot of targets from Cam Newton. Uh, Demier Bird and him were kind of battling to see which one of those guys was going to be the favorite. He seems to kind of taken over the stranglehold uh, where Bird's just kind of been spot started here or there. But, uh, yeah, I like the Jets in this game for a funny reason. I'm not exactly sure why. Just the way they match up leads me to believe the Jets have a real opportunity to win this game. Nothing would be more 2020 than to watch it end on the Jets beating the New England Patriots. And just it would just be an absolute joke. The good news is for Jets fans, if you guys do win this game, you still keep the second pick. You're not going to lose that no matter what happens. So that's the good news for you guys. Let's move to a game that's really going to matter. And it's still two crappy teams, but it's really going to matter. And that's the NFC East. That's the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants. The Cowboys coming off their, what I thought was their best game of the season against the Philadelphia Eagles last week, especially from an offensive standpoint, especially from an Andy Dalton standpoint. Now, I don't have him in my streaming category still. I'm not going to look at that as a, something that I think is definitely going to repeat, although yeah, I think you can throw the ball in the New York Giants to some degree. But I'm looking at Ezekiel Elliott. He's a top 12 guy with the volume. He looked good last week. He looked a little bit healthier. The big key for me, even though the Giants have been tough against the run, is that Zach Martin might play this week. If Zach Martin plays this week, then all of a sudden that offensive line of Dallas Cowboys becomes serviceable. And all Zeke needs is a serviceable offensive line to be a decent fantasy play. What we saw last week was that Tony Pollard is still just a backup. There's not a committee here. There's not a rotation. He's still just a backup. If Zeke is full go, he's still going to get the majority of the work. Amari Cooper, I want to take a second to talk about Amari Cooper because I caught a lot of flack on having Amari Cooper in my top 12 wide receivers. And while he's kind of borderline right there when it comes to half-point PPR leagues, I want to point out that had he had Dak Prescott, there's no doubt about it, this guy would have finished as a wide receiver one. He's having a career year where he only had four games of Dak Prescott. He's had to deal with Ben DiNucci. He's had to deal with Garrett Gilbert. He's had to deal with a 50% Andy Dalton, because even Andy Dalton doesn't look like Andy Dalton this year for whatever reason. I mean, he's not this bad. We've seen him play well in Cincinnati. And he's been able to have a career year as far as yards. He's been consistent with targets, with receptions. I have his wide receiver 19 for me this week. I'm going to have him probably in the top 12 if they bring back Dak Prescott next year. I just want to take the opportunity to thank you, Amari Cooper. Thank you, because I've been having your back this entire time. Everybody wants to tell me how you are a boomer bust guy. And all I kept saying was, you're, he's only a boomer bust guy if you haven't actually been watching the games. If, if you've only been looking at the box scores, that's what made you think he's a boomer bust guy heading into this year. But if you actually pay attention to the context of the game, he was consistent as long as he was healthy and on the field. Both of those two things need to be true. Both of those two things were true pretty much this entire year. And look what we got, a consistent wide receiver in a terrible, terrible situation. Outside of that, I'm playing C.D. Lamb at wide receiver 29 as a wide receiver three. Michael Gallup has been the lead target over the past few weeks. He's also a wide receiver three to me this week. I think you can play all three of these pass catchers and Ezekiel Elliott this week against the Dallas Cowboys in a game that they must have. Where are you at, Billy? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think what we're seeing right now is Andy Dalton really coming into this offense and the players around him are really starting to get confident in his ability. I mean, you mentioned Michael Gallup, four touchdowns in his last five games. 
Cooper and Lamb, they're wide receiver 15 and 16 in PPR scoring. So these guys are really, they're all producing in an, in an offense that we were really kind of worried about without Dak Prescott. He started out as a, you know, MVP candidate out of the gate, just really killing it. So I think this offense is humming right now. The New York Giants defense is, they're getting a lot of tout right now, a lot of clout for uh, their play. However, if you look at the games where they were really starting to get going, they were Washington, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and they got Seattle right in the middle of their struggles on the offensive side of the ball. So as they come back to as they come back to really playing these other teams, I think this defense can be had a little bit more than the respect they've gotten as of late. And Zeke showed us last week that he's still Ezekiel Elliott, 105 yards rushing. And hey, this guy's still RB10, even though we thought that he had a really crap year. We just got some news coming down. We haven't gotten to this game yet, but Alex Smith is ramping up his practice participation. It's looking like Alex Smith is, in fact, going to be able to play this week. That was something that was still kind of up in the air. They were hoping he was going to be able to play this week, but it's looking like he is trending in that direction. That's just coming down the pipe right now, so I wanted to talk about that. We're going to talk about that game at the end because that is the Sunday night game, so we're going to get there in just a few moments. We'll get over to the New York Giants side of the ball right now. Wayne Gallman, I have him ranked as RB34. The low-end RB3. He hasn't been getting the volume of late. The Alfred Morris has been mixed in a little bit more. Is it, This is a team that can be had, though. And Wayne Gallman's definitely the better guy. So we have to see if they're able to go back to him on this one. Sterling Shepard is a low-end wide receiver, too, to me. Darius Slayton, with the possibility of a banged-up Golden Tate, could be a high-end wide receiver, three. Evan Ingram's tight end 14, so he's in the streaming territory for me. Giant players are actually going to be fantasy relevant because, well, mostly it's the Dallas Cowboys. And to back that up, you have Daniel Jones, which from reports, now this has to be true. If this isn't true, then all of this goes to the wayside. All reports are Daniel Jones is looking like he's going to be more mobile this week. If he can be more mobile, then he can be somewhat effective against this Dallas Cowboy defense. And therefore, all these guys can have fantasy value. Here's my caveat. If he's not mobile, run, 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 run away from this Giants offensive attack because everybody could hit the bottom floor. Billy, where are you at with this Giant offense against this Dallas Cowboys defense? Yeah, when you look at the Dallas defense, really the only thing that gives you any concern in this matchup is their pass rush with Randy Gregory. I mean, this guy's coming on strong. They're getting to the quarterback. Daniel Jones has proven, you know, he's a young guy. You make him uncomfortable, he makes a lot of mistakes. However, if he's able to get out of the pocket and make some plays downfield with a healthy Sterling Shepard, we've seen him flash a little bit of the talent that we know he has when he's in the lineup. And Darius Slayton, he gashed these guys last time. They played 11 targets, 8 catches, 129 yards, and he has 25 targets in the last three weeks as well. They haven't really manifested in a whole lot of catches and a whole lot of yards. However, if Daniel Jones is getting out of the pocket, Darius Slayton is a great option. They have a great rapport. So I think the Giants offense, they could get going in the passing game as long as Daniel Jones, like you said, is healthy enough to scramble and get out of the pocket a little bit. We talked about the Jets and how they need to fire and move on from Adam Gates. The Giants need to fire and move on from David Gellman at the GM position. I don't know yet about Joe Judge, but I do think we've seen enough out of Jason Garrett where it would be in their best interest to move on from an offense coordinator. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. The other thing would be they have to move on from Daniel Jones. There's talent here. Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley when he comes back, Evan Ingram, which they it sounds like he's going to try to make his way back to the New York Giants again next season, more likely than not. Can this team find a different quarterback? Because Daniel Jones is killing it. 
absolutely killing me. This is a lot of talent that should be fantasy relevant that we can't depend on because I have to watch a guy who's average on his best days be the quarterback position for the New York Giants because I have to watch David Gettleman continue to call the shots at the front office. Please, Billy, tell me, tell me Gettleman's going to be out of a job this, this year. Uh, he needs to be. I didn't like him in Carolina. He ran a really good roster into the ground really fast, and about the time it was a really starting to, to hit the ground, he jetted and went to New York. There's a big batch of young talent on this New York Giant team, but what I think they do need, to your point, moving on from Daniel Jones, if a guy like Kirk Cousins became available where they had someone with a little bit more experience in the huddle, I think it would bode really well for these young guys around him. And you see what he's done with young guys like Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. I mean, he is a leader. I mean, he may not be the most exciting quarterback, but in the offense that the Giants run, uh, I think he could do pretty well in that huddle. Saquon back uh, with a good offensive line. I'm not, a, I'm not against Joe Judge. I think he's done a relatively good job with what he has had there, uh, given, the, given the situation where they haven't had Saquon most of the year. That's kind of their big gun on offense. It makes the, makes the whole ship roll. And D Daniel Jones, you know, he's missed a lot of time as well. So they've really struggled with the injury bug, and it's really hampered some development on the offensive side of the ball for sure. Yeah, and, and just when I look at this team, it, they just, they're on the cusp. You make a couple of quick changes. The offensive line is young. They're talented. They're starting to improve. You can see it over the past few weeks. They're starting to click a little bit now, too. You make a quarterback change to a veteran, like you said. You make an offensive coordinator change, and all of a sudden I think you see this team Take a real shape for him because this defense, I do think, is on the cusp of getting really good. That's a really young defensive front that I think could be actually really talented, really tough to run on heading into next season. There's going to be – when we come back in March, when this show comes back in March, there's going to be a lot of really interesting fantasy impacts to talk about because there's going to be guys – because the salary cap is getting slashed, there's going to be guys we did not expect to be available who will be. And we already know of a few veteran quarterbacks who might be out there on the market. There's going to be some serious – fantasy impactful changes nfl changes coming this off season so make sure you stay tuned follow us on twitter at belly mdff show because we always send out those player news notifications all throughout the year 365 24 7 to keep you guys up to date let's move into the nfc south let's talk about the atlanta falcons and the Tampa Bay buccaneers in this matchup now the buccaneers don't necessarily have anything to play for this week however we have good old Bruce Arians, who you can actually kind of trust in some of these situations, saying that we're going to go and win this game. So Tom Brady, Ronald Jones, who's back this week, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, maybe even Gronk as a hope he scores a touchdown type of tight end. Is there anybody I'm missing that you can play with confidence in this week? Uh, yeah, I, all the wide receivers I think you can play. Tom Brady I think has a big game. Last time these guys played, the Falcons really got out running on them and, and made them throw to come back. Uh, I, I like Fournette if Ronald Jones doesn't end up back on the field, uh, just getting a little bit of that work. But I'm not terribly excited about any of them because they don't match up terribly well against this Falcon team. It really took a magic fourth quarter to beat these guys last time they played. And I think that's the biggest reason why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming out in this game saying we, we, they want to make a statement, they want to make a point, they want to be going into the playoffs with momentum on their side. And I think they're going to come out pretty aggressive. The one thing that impressed me last week, it was the Detroit Lions. So you had to take everything you saw there with a grain of salt. But the rapport between Mike Evans and Tom Brady, while it has been forced at times this season, they have pretty much beat this thing into the ground so much so because they know that those two need to click for the rest of the offense to go. I know the Atlanta Falcons defense, not just against the run, but lately against everything, has actually been pretty solid. 
I still have Mike Evans a top five wide receiver this week because of the targets, because of the red zone looks that he gets with Tom Brady, because of the big plays that he's looking at. And I have Chris Godwin as a top 12 receiver this week. They're both wide receiver ones for me. I think they're going to lean on them heavily. Maybe Antonio Brown gets a big play here or there, but I'm not trusting the target share that he's looking at. Ronald Jones, it, it's, everything is expected for him to play. While it's not a great matchup, I don't know how efficient he's going to be between the 20s. As long as he's out there, he's good goal line opportunities. I expect him to fall into the end zone. He winds up being RB20 for me this week as a result of that. And Brady is a top five quarterback. I don't think, unless they're blowing this team out like they were against the Detroit Lions, I don't think they're benching their guys in the second half. I really don't, even though they don't have much to gain in this game. This is one of those, because of the divisional rival matchup, because you have to have the momentum on your side, you're not going to have that first round bye, because you have to prove it still, because this is still a team, let's face it, has been spending all year long trying to get the chemistry just right. They still need this game to do that. I think they're going to be aggressive. You can trust that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to play their players, even though they don't have anything to gain. When I flip over the Falcons side, I, I know Julio's volleying the play. I don't understand why or when or if he would actually play. I'm not counting on him playing this week. It wouldn't make any sense for him to do so. In his absence, Calvin Ridley has been a top five wide receiver this year on pretty much every scoring format at this point. I have him as a top five wide receiver this week. Carlton Davis still a bit, little bit banged up. Tampa Bay's defense, and I've harped on this. I don't know why. I don't know what's happened to Todd Bowles' mindset. But for some reason, they've decided they want to play this soft zone against everybody they play and come across against, and it's opening up these wide receivers full forward. I do have Hayden Hurst as a top 10 tight end because of what he, the target share that he has. But outside of that, I don't want to touch anything else. I mean, what do you got, Billy? Yeah, and the running backs, we've really seen Edo Smith take over for Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley started out the year relatively well, maybe a little touchdown dependent, but he was getting in the end zone. Since they moved on from him, the running back situation has been abysmal. The running game has not been good. However, the passing game, they seem to match up well with Tampa Bay, like you said, playing that soft zone coverage. We see the number one receiver uh, against any team that has a, a relatively good player really gash these guys. Tyreek Hill had a historic first quarter against these guys just torching them and Calvin Ridley 10 catches for a buck 60 last time these guys saw with the absence of Julio I, I think that continues Julio on the field makes this offense go another level even when he's not productive he just really kind of dictates coverage in the defense to help out Matt Ryan making making reads easy uh, but I'm not real excited about anybody outside of Calvin Ridley to be honest yeah I, mean, I don't I don't blame you it's, it's purely the targets that Hayden Hurst has seen in the tight end landscape why he winds up making my top 10 ultimately here, but it's still something that it definitely has a low floor, but it, it, that's something that you've had at a Hayden Hurst all year long. You know that you either have a solid, solid volume, or you're going to have a low floor in any given week. And really outside of last week, he hasn't scored many touchdowns this season, but he still winds up in the top 10 because there's just not a lot of tight end options out there. Calvin really has been the only safe player, no matter what, which is why we both agree there. He is going to be somebody who's going to be very interesting next year. Well, Falcons are going to be something that's going to be very interesting in the offseason. Do they bring back Matt Ryan? Do they bring back Julio Jones? Assuming that they do, who are you drafting first next year? Are you drafting Calvin Ridley? Really? you drafting Julio Jones? I expect Julio Jones to be on the move. Just the cap situation these guys are in, where he's at. And this team thinks they're, they, they thought coming into the year they were a little closer to winning 
than they were. That's a piece I think they're going to have to move. Leaving Calvin Ridley there, maybe they draft a guy. Calvin Ridley would definitely be the guy to go, even if Julio's still there. And if you're a guy like me who thought this might be the year where Julio finally starts scoring touchdowns, you know, you, you're spurned by him. You're going to avoid him. He's really kind of a wide receiver seven or eight that should be coming off the draft board. Injuries, no touchdowns. There's a lot that goes into this play. Uh, Julio's an elite talent, don't get me wrong, but the production on the fantasy side isn't always there for the type of talent that Julio brings to the table. Every year at the end, I always write down a few notes for myself to remember going into the following season. And the number one note, I shouldn't say number one note, but one of the top notes that I wrote down for myself was stop drafting Julio Jones in the first round. Just stop it. I get amnesia every year because at the end of the year, he winds up having top wide receiver numbers. Now it's not going to happen this year because he missed too many games, but Every other year, he wants to having top receiver numbers, but he always forgets that he always goes in the stretch where he's got a little bit of a hamstring problem, a little bit of an ankle problem, and he spends three or four games of the season. Even if he's on the field, he's nothing more than a decoy. And every year, I get amnesia with this guy, and that's why this year I made the point, put it in the note right at the top, do not draft Julio Jones in the first round. While his talent's amazing, while he still can do it, he's going to be 32 him staying healthy is going to be a huge question mark from here until his career is over. You can't take the chance on that when you're drafting a guy in the first, I would say maybe even the second round. I may not draft Julio unless he falls to me in the third, which means I'm probably not going to wind up with him at all. But on the flip side of that, Calvin Ridley very much will take him at least in the top end second round area. Yeah, I agree with you there. Julio, it's just like you said, when you look at the stat sheet and you're studying for your redraft leagues, you're looking at the stats going, man, how do I pass on this guy? Then you put him on your team and you realize it's really a lot of okay days sprinkled in with some just monster days where he just totally dominates a ball game. And, and it really, you know, bolsters his stats. And he's up there right along those guys with D-Hop and, and Devontae Adams every year at the end of the season. However, it's about a four to maybe six games of really good production sprinkled in with really some mediocre low-end wide receiver two weeks at times. Week 17 is the matchup of divisional matchups. And one of those is the Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears. And this one makes me laugh. Packers have number one seed locked up. They're good to go. And yet there's been no word whatsoever that they are going to sit, rest, anybody because it's the Chicago Bears. And I just find it hilarious, because I came into this week thinking to myself, I like A.J. Dillon more than Aaron Jones. And then as this week's progressed, as the practice reports have come out, I've had to go back like, ah, maybe not. It sounds like they're actually going to play everybody, which if it was anybody but the Chicago Bears, it could have been the Minnesota Vikings, could have been the Detroit Lions, it doesn't matter. If it was anybody but the Chicago Bears, Rodgers would be sitting, Jones would definitely be sitting, Devontae Adams would be sitting, but nope, everyone's a full go for the Green Bay Packers, which means everyone's a full go for your fantasy team. Rodgers is my number three quarterback on the week. Aaron Jones, my number 13 running back on the week. Devontae Adams, my number one receiver on the week. Robert Tunyon is also my top, my top five tight end on the week. I know he had a bad week last week, one catch, 17 yards, but the guy is leading the league in touchdowns when it comes to the tight end position. It's hilarious, but you're playing the Packers like you would any other week. If only they could take a page, if the Kansas City Chiefs could take a page out of the Green Bay Packers for the, for the uh, fantasy owners that are still playing their championships this week. Yeah, it's really an interesting situation. It's kind of like the Browns and Steelers situation. Do you want to run into one of your division rivals in the playoffs? And I don't think that's a good move. It's hard to beat a team when you've played them two times already. That third matchup, we've seen bite really good teams when they get into the playoffs. And actually, if you look at the, the production – the, 
they, they beat the, the Bears pretty handedly, but the Bears had a really good fourth quarter last time they matched up five weeks ago. And since that matchup, that's the game where uh, uh, David Montgomery really got going. He had 11 carries over 100 yards. Since then, the Packers, the last four games, have allowed the second fewest points to the running back position. And last week against Derrick Henry, you saw this team is really making a push to start stopping the run which is a very playoff-minded thing to do. We've seen the Colts do it in the past. They kind of change up their defense when they're allowing a lot of run. When you get in the playoffs, you have to be able to stop the run, especially in these late games, Green Bay in the weather. And I think this, this newfound, uh, you know, keying on the run is going to help them immensely. They have to stop David Montgomery if they're going to slow down the Bears' offense. These guys are getting going right now, and they just claimed Damon Harris off of waivers uh, from the Seattle Seahawks last night, adding another big guy to put in the middle of that defense. Green Bay's, they're gearing up to make a run, and they don't want to see a division rival uh, get off the bus in Green Bay. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. Their defense made that adjustment where they're showing a different front now, and it's, it's more run-oriented. Look, they, they finally realized, especially with Kevin King healthy now, Jerry Alexander, Kevin King, they can play one-on-one on the outside and be okay because they are that level of corner now. They've developed into being that level of corner where you don't have to have necessarily help for these guys. So why not sure up the middle of this defense now? And I'm glad you mentioned David Montgomery there. David Montgomery is still my number two running back on the week. The guy's been on – he's been the number two running back since this run has started, frankly, throughout the fantasy football playoffs. There's no way you're not playing him. The only, the only concern you would have is that adjustment made by the Green Bay Packers defense. But at the end of the day – because Mitchell Trubisky is a threat to run, the RPO has been working very, very well. The Chicago Bears offensive line is finally playing downhill. I still think Montgomery takes the roof off of this. What do you think? Yeah, I really think he does too. They're finally using him in a good way, and Mitchell Trubisky is completing a lot of his passes, so play action is working in as well, and it's kind of making this whole offense go. He's had four straight games with 68% completions or better, not a stat that we would have liked to see out of David Montgomery. He also has 10 touchdowns in his last five games too, dating back to that Packers matchup. This offense really got going that day at the end of the game against those Packers, and they've been really grooving since. Yeah, and you want to talk about a guy who's going to be really, really interesting to rank going into next season. David Montgomery, everyone's going to be looking at this guy like, what do we, what do we get? Do we get the, the boring volume-based RB2 that he was for the majority of the season, which was purely just based on volume, wasn't based on efficiency, wasn't based on anything exciting whatsoever? Or is it this guy who's been an elite running back I tend to lean somewhere between. I was a David Montgomery fan coming out of college, so I've been more of a David Montgomery apologist up until this point to begin with, so I'm very happy to see him getting this. But I think it's going to depend on who the quarterback is. It's going to depend on does he have a healthy offensive line because he needs those things around him. He has to be running downhill. That's the one thing we saw. And with Nick Foles, when he's going backpedaling, there's no holes to be had. There's nowhere for him to go. They have him running sideline to sideline. That's not what he is. He's a one-cut north and south runner. If he can do that, he could be really good. But, but this is not an RB1. This is an RB2 who might have some really good games coming up. I fear he's going to get drafted as a guy who is in a high second round position. He shouldn't go that high. Where are you going to have David Montgomery next year, Billy, you think? I think he's going to be in that upper RB2 range for me. I don't want to be too biased with the recency stuff, which is really easy for us fantasy guys say oh he got going but his matchups haven't been that great since he got going the Saints run defense he did all right against but Green Bay Detroit Houston Minnesota Jacksonville 
those aren't great run defenses, but maybe a little bit of this offense getting going gives these guys the confidence they need to play a little bit better against tougher defenses because we have seen him be really abysmal. I mean, he's had a few games with 10 carries under 30 yards and no touchdowns. So I don't want to be too biased about it, but I do think he is a good player, not a great player. And in this offense, he could be productive, like you said. If they get him going downhill, quit trying to get him around the edge. He's not a speed guy. There's nothing about David Montgomery that's fast. He's quick, and he can make you miss in tight areas, but he's got to get ahead of steam and get through that line. He's got to hit the hole, and they do that a little bit differently with Trubisky back there. Yeah, and my other key to that is I think Bill Lazor has to continue being the offensive coordinator, not Matt Nagy calling the plays. I do think because of this run, especially if they want to be in the Green Bay Packers, there's probably a good chance Matt Nagy stays the head coach. He has to keep Bill Lazor as the offensive coordinator if he needs to feel confident about David Montgomery. The other key to that is having a guy like Allen Robinson, which we don't know where he's going to go, if he's going to stay in Chicago. I have to believe that unless they're going to get a new quarterback, if I'm Allen Robinson, there's no way in hell I'm staying in Chicago because I need to go finally find a good quarterback to go play with to show that I am, in fact, a superstar. That's if I'm Allen Robinson. For this week, I have him as wide receiver seven. I know it's a tough matchup against perimeter wide receivers for Green Bay Packers, but again, since Bill Lazor has taken over, he hasn't just gotten the running game going. Allen Robinson's lying up on the outside. He's lying up on the inside. They're motioning him. They are featuring him like a feature wide receiver, which is what you should do with a feature wide receiver, getting him mismatches all over the field. Allen Robinson gets Green Bay Packers in a tough matchup. Where is he for you? Yeah, right where you have him, kind of that uh, middle of the road, low end wide receiver one range. I mean, just the town alone, you can't pass up this guy in your lineup if you have him but maybe not a great DFS play. Uh, last time they played Green Bay, he had 13 targets, eight catches for 74 yards and two scores, and I don't see them doing anything different. I saw a stat the other day where Zaire Alexander, Packers corner, hasn't given up a play of 25 yards or more. So that's kind of why you're seeing those a lot of catches, not a lot of yards. This Packers defense does a really good job keeping everything in front of him, but if they want to win, they're going to have to target Allen Robinson heavily. He is the premier weapon on this offense, and without a threat of the passing game, David Montgomery's not going to get going either. Yeah, 100% agree there. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we still have a lot more matchups. We still have half more of the week of Week 17 to talk about from the 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock hour here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. So stay tuned right after this. Welcome back in MD Nation to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we've been talking about the Week 17 preview here as I've been joined by my very special guest for the last show of 2020, the last show of this season, Mr. Billy Witt of Fan Belly Up Fantasy Sports, a senior fantasy football writer. And uh, we didn't talk about this yet, and I should have probably before. Billy is the guy who's been writing the very successful start-sit column for us this season. It's been getting a lot of pub. It's, a lot of people have been enjoying it. It's been really fun every single week. It's been a great read every single week with a lot of insights. So that's why I thought who better to bring on for the preview show than the guy who writes all the start-sit articles to begin with. So that's why I was very happy to have him on, and I was glad he was able to join for this last show of 2020. We've been talking about these games. We're getting into now the Raiders and the Denver Broncos in this matchup. Billy, take it away from me on the Raiders' side, and I'll give you my opinion after. Yeah, this is an offense that has, we've seen it sputter at times. We've seen it go off really well at times. The highlight of their offense really being 
Darren Waller. The guy's really taken over at the tight end position for them, just producing, catches everything near him. Uh, Josh Jacobs in this game is a really nice matchup. He torched the Broncos for two touchdowns, had a 100-yard game against them. Both of these run defenses are pretty poor, having allowed 20 or more rushing touchdowns already this season. Uh, as far as the wide receiver position, there's no one I'm too excited about playing. However, Nelson Aguilar is a guy that you have to eyeball. He's had big games, one you know, 185-yard touchdown here or there, but he's also had some games with nice floor with getting good targets, receptions, and racking up a little bit of yards there. Henry Ruggs, not looking at him yet. Developmental guy for me. Um, not terribly excited about Derek Carr either. The Broncos aren't that horrible against the pass. They've only allowed 19 passing touchdowns, which is relatively good uh, against other defenses, I guess. But uh, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, both guys I want to play in this. Great DFS matchups. I think uh, I think they both go out with a bang and have big days here in this divisional matchup. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you on the most part here. Darren Waller is my tight end two on the week. Josh Jacobs is my RB11. The thing about Josh Jacobs to remember is that this season, if you, if you follow the pattern, it's been they'll give him a ton of carries, and then the following week they give him in the low teens, which is what they did last. Last week they gave him touches in the low teens. Inexplicably, I don't know why, because every time he touched the ball against the Miami Dolphins, he was going off for eight, eight yards every time he touched it, which was driving me absolutely crazy, lost me a championship week, but we'll move on from that because it was uh, heartbreaking, but there was nothing more, and I already went on this rant on Tuesday, but there was nothing more satisfying than watching the Miami Dolphins come back and win this game after they told Josh Jacobs not to score there on the end, which would have won me my championship, but again, neither here nor there when it comes for this week. So this week, being that they only got 13 carries last week, being that's the last week of the season, and they're going to want to try to win this game, Scruton's still trying to build that winning culture in the Raiders. I think it's a great shot. Jacobs going to see 20-plus carries in this game. He should score when he sees that kind of volume. I'm with you on this one. I feel pretty good about Jacobs in this one. There's no way not to feel good about Waller with what he's been able to do over the past six weeks either. Derek Carr does come in at QB 14 for me, so he is somebody in the streaming conversation. Do I feel great about it? No, not necessarily. But the Broncos have been a team you've been able to throw on as of late, which is why I have Nelson Aguilar, I think, a little bit higher than you. I have him as a low-end wide receiver, too. And it's kind of because of what you mentioned. Yes, he's had those big games. Yes, he's kind of a boomer bust option. But out over the past six weeks, he's actually had a floor to back that up. So you don't have to worry about him completely goosing you, completely losing you the week if he doesn't have that one big play that has what put him in a top-end fantasy position at times this season. Uh, so I do have Nelson Aguilar at wide receiver 23. Of all the wide receivers, he's the only wide receiver I'm even contemplating. Henry Ruggs is what I thought he was as a one-trick pony, why he went in front of a Jerry Judy, a C.D. Lamb, a T. Higgins, a Justin Jefferson. Uh, the list goes on and on of Brandon Ayuk as far as rookie wide receivers go this season. He went in front of all those guys. Once again, even without the man Al Davis, may he rest in peace there, they still take wide receivers with speed over wide receivers with skill. And again, it proved out. Here again, I'm not saying Henry Rose can't turn into a decent wide receiver or be a decent playmaker at some point in his career. But when you look at the slew of rookie wide receivers and what they were able to accomplish this season, then you look at Henry Ruggs, you kind of sit there and wonder, what were you people thinking? But yes, from a fantasy standpoint for this week, Jacobs, Waller, I'm looking pretty hard at Aguilar too. I feel pretty good about that. On the other side of the ball, I got the Denver Broncos. And I got to feel great about Melvin Gordon. The Raiders stink. Against rushing, there's going to be no Philip Lindsay this week. 
Orton disappointed a little bit last week, but he got the volume I was looking for. There's a great matchup for him here. I'm big on Melvin Gordon. He's my RB7 on the week. And outside of that, I'm not too excited to really play anybody else because believe it or not, when Jonathan Abram plays, which they do expect him to play in this one, the Raiders are pretty good against the tight end. No offense, only tight end 16 for me this week. They're actually not bad against wide receivers either. And because it's Drew Locke, I don't know what the hell I'm going to get the quarterback position anyway. So Tim Patrick's the only wide receiver I'm even contemplating. He's wide receiver 32. I'm looking at Denver Broncos as Melvin Gordon, and I'm kind of hands-off on everybody else. Yeah, I'm with you. The Raiders are allowing the fourth most points to the running back position over their last four games, and they've gotten gashed by guys. And Melvin Gordon's really coming on late. He's averaging well over five yards a carry over the last month, but he hasn't had a 20-yard or 20-carry game since week four. I think he gets that this week because Drew Locke threw four touch, four picks against this Raiders defense. Four of their 10 interceptions came against Drew Locke in their last meeting earlier in the season. So I think they keep it on the ground. Melvin Gordon's playing really well, and he may not be a Bronco next year. So he may be looking for, hey, look what I put on tape at the end of last season. I can still get it done, and he's a motivated guy. Yeah, right there with you. We can move on from this game because there's not much else to talk about. Well, I, actually, you know what? Before we move on, because we want to talk a little bit about next year since this is the Week 17 show, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, next year. What are these guys What are these guys going to be? And also, do you think there's any chance they move on from Drew Locke? Because I think that's probably really the key more so than anything else. You know, with Drew Locke, you've seen spurts of the talent that we thought he had, but we've also seen him be pretty terrible, miss some really good throws. I mean, he still has some decent pass catchers around him, and Melvin Gordon is a capable catch, ball catcher out of the backfield. He just doesn't really use the talent around him. Noah Fant is a great pass catching tight end. We've seen him have great games. We've also seen him disappear, and I think all that kind of revolves around Drew Locke's talent. That's what you're going to get. When he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. But I'm not sure he really fits in this offense. Offense, and I'm not sure he's really much more than a backup. He's not developing. He's not getting any better. You're not seeing anything out of him that you didn't see the first time he walked onto the field, except for maybe a little bit more comfortable. I don't know if they move on for him. I think that's more of a situational thing for the Broncos. Who's a free agent? Who's interested? And, and what falls in their lap come draft day? Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't think it's a guarantee. And here's my issue. If Drew Locke winds up being the starting quarterback next year, I don't know if I trust any wide receiver not named Portland Sutton next year. He's the only one. Because he's so physically dominant, he just offers this natural big target where an inaccurate quarterback like Drew Locke can just kind of throw the ball up to and let him go make a play. Jerry Judy, as much as I love him, as much as I do think from an overall skill set, he's still the number one receiver from this draft class, even though Justin Jefferson had better years, CeeDee Lamb had a better year, Brandon Ayuk had a better year, T. Higgins had a better year. I still think the cream of the crop is Jerry Judy. However, he needs a quarterback who can anticipate. He needs a quarterback who can be accurate. I think Pat Shermer is the right offensive coordinator for this job. But if they don't move on from Drew Locke, it might be a couple years where we see Jerry Judy really come to fruition, and it's going to be Cortland Sutton instead. But this offense, they are a quarterback away from competing with the Kansas City Chiefs. There's no doubt in my mind with the kind of talent that they have everywhere in the skill set position. And Sutton is somebody that I really want people to not forget about when they head into next year. I know because he had the ACL, because they have all these other guys, he might be somebody who gets overlooked next season. And, I mean, frankly, personally, I hope he actually does because that means I'll get him at his value in my draft days. But if you're part of MD Nation, I don't want you to forget about Cortland Sutton and what this guy is. And to me, 
He's right there with an A.J. Brown. He's right there with a D.K. Metcalf as far as these young superstar wide receivers. He's on that level. What do you think, Bill? He definitely is. And we've seen him be productive when he was the only guy on this offense that you had to worry about. That big frame, he can run every route. He's got the speed to get it done. He wins jump balls. There's nothing about this guy you don't like. And don't shy away from an ACL. An ACL is not the same injury it was 15 years ago. These guys are ready to go in eight months. And now with the talent around him, you mentioned Jerry Judy. We forgot about guys like K.J. Hamler. These are really good route-running guys that will complement him very well on the other side of a formation. Noah Fan as well. You get all these options out there. This offense can sling it around, and they should compete, like you said, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Another guy, Tim Patrick, he's a big-body guy. He's played really well. If he doesn't have to be in that main wide receiver role, he's a really great complement on the other side from, uh, from Cortland Sutton. The thing is, like you said with Drew Locke, this offense is sputtered with him. If they get a guy that can go in there and read, anticipate, and make the throws, they can compete with the Kansas City Chiefs. We expected him to be that coming into this season, and it really ended up being the Chargers with uh, Justin Herbert out there. This this uh, division is going to get real exciting really fast. If the Raiders can get their quarterback situation figured out, I think they move on from Derek Carr, who was a guy I wanted to mention earlier, as a possible New York Giant guy that could help that offense take that next step. He's not that bad of a quarterback, but it may not be the best place for him. But the Broncos, like you said, they're a quarterback away from being a very scary offense. And they have the defense that if they get in a shootout, it bodes better for that defense than sitting in one of these low-scoring grind it out type ball games because they're not that great against the run. They're built to get in a shootout. Totally agree with you there. I got to hit the breaking news sounder. Ryan Fitzpatrick has tested positive for COVID. So it looks like he will not be available this week. Not only will he not be available this week, but that means if you're a Miami Dolphin fan and you're hoping for any Ryan Fitz magic happening in the second half, that will not be available to you. It's going to be 100% to a tackle of Boa in this game. We already previewed this game earlier on in the show. We knew Tyler Bowe was going to start. Ryan Fitzpatrick only becomes a thing if he's going to be playing in the second half, but he will not be available at all this week. That just coming out just now. Make sure you always follow at BellyUpMDFF Show for all player news notifications because we'll keep you up to date on that and so much more 24-7, 365. So let's move on here to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Indianapolis Colts. Colts have a lot to play for, actually, because if they don't win the division, they could wind up not making the playoffs. So them and the Tennessee Titans have a lot to play for in their games. Against the Jacksonville Jaguars, no James Robinson this week. Mike Lennon's the starting quarterback. I don't know how much I want to play Ogunawabe. Let's pretend that I actually pronounced that correctly because I probably did not. But I'm not touching anything with Jaguars. Are you, Bill? Yeah, no, not too excited about it. No James Robinson. No. Uh, no Jags for me. I'm not too excited about any of the pass catchers. As you never really know, is it Keelan Cole, Colin Johnson shown flashes when they get down in the red zone? I'm really staying away from them, especially against this Colts defense. This defense is, is built to uh, just smother you. They, they, this is a really good defense against a not very good offense. Mike Glennon looks like a poor man's um, Matt Ryan out there, and it's just not exciting to watch. James Robinson's been the piece of that offense that you want to have. RB4 coming into the week after even missing last week. No James Robinson. I just don't see this offense really having much opportunity to score any points at all, really. Yeah, I don't either. We've been talking about next year, a little sneak peek preview. Who is I, – I, there might be no more hype around a particular team than the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know they're going to take Trevor Lawrence with the first pick. We know they're probably going to have a new head coach. We don't know who that's going to be yet, but we know they're probably going to have a new head coach. You're going to have guys like DJ Chark who will be looking to rebound. You're going to have guys like LaVisca Chenault 
who show that they are definitely, if nothing else, at least a playmaking athlete this season. You have James Robinson, who was the cream of the crop when it came to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Those guys came out of nowhere this year and really became of huge fantasy stars. Give me some of your takes on some of these Jaguar players, where you're going to take them next year, what your expectations are with all of that kind of up in the air and exciting loop moving forward. Assuming that they do draft Trevor Lawrence as they should, it really makes you a little bit more excited about guys like DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. We've seen these guys be really productive players when Gardner Minshew's in the game, but Gardner Minshew is a relatively good passer. So, you know, I'm not sure why they want to play Mike Glennon over Minshew. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it's really capped the production from these wide receivers. They get Trevor Lawrence, assuming he is what we think he is. I'm really excited about these guys. But Chenault, kind of a, a middle of that wide receiver three range for me with some upside, maybe a guy that you, you know, split some hairs with guys in that range, uh, top 30, 35 area. DJ Chark could be a fringe wide receiver one, a really good wide receiver two, and I think he'll be drafted as such. Yeah, DJ Chark is going to bounce back. That, that's 100%. Um, I think he'll be drafted as a wide receiver three. I think he'll be looked at as a guy who's a boom or bust type of option that you know has the talent to take that next step. Trevor Lawrence, we saw Joe Burrow. We saw Justin Herbert. Even Tua Tagovailoa, from an NFL standpoint, I would say has been pretty decently successful. These rookie quarterbacks have been able to come in and be impactful right away. The, the main key is going to be who's the coach going to be. It can't be Doug Murrow. It can't be Doug Murrow. So that, that's going to be the main key as who the coach is going to be is what our expectations will truly be for this offense. My big thing, too, is James Robinson. I think this is a bust next season waiting to happen. Now, I'm not saying that I don't like James Robinson. I like his talent. He can do a little bit of everything. I think he can be a bell cow back. I think he's going to be a solid producer. But this is a guy I think is going to go in the first round. And I'm telling you right now, I think he's going to be a bust for a first-round value next season. It's an offensive line that's not that good. And he just fits the profile. He, these guys that come out of absolutely nowhere at the running back position, typically speaking, the following year have a big regression once they actually have, once teams actually have them on tape, unless you're truly special, you're truly a superstar. And I don't know if I think James Robinson is truly a superstar. Do you disagree, Bill? No, I'm right there with you. When I started laying out uh, some of my early projections for next year, my early rankings, James Robinson's kind of on the back end of the RB1. I do not expect him to be this top five guy year in and year out, just based on the talent. The guys ahead of him are just much better players. And I'll be eyeballing their coaching situation, offensive coordinator hire, if they do any make any moves there. And that'll kind of determine where I feel like James Robinson will be. I do feel like he's a talented guy. Do I feel like he's RB4? Absolutely not. He had a great season this year. And at the beginning of the year, we saw him catch a lot more balls that gave him a lot better production than he has later in the year. He hasn't quite done the same damage in the passing game that he did early on. So he's a good running back, not a great running back. If you can get him as your RB2, I think you'll be surprised, pleasantly happy with what you get from him. But I think there's going to be a lot of guys jumping on him thinking that he's going to progress from where he is right now. And I'm just not so sure that's necessarily going to happen. All right, let's get back to this game this week with the Indianapolis Colts. Talk about Jonathan Taylor, who I have as a top 10 running back playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. How could you not, with, especially with the way he's played over the past few weeks? They've finally gotten back to letting him be at least the main ball carrier. Jordan Wilkins is no longer in the mix. They do mix in Naeem Hines from time to time, but it's enough that Taylor has the goal line work. He has enough of a carry load that I know against a good matchup here against Jacksonville Jaguars, he's going to be a top 10 guy no matter what. I think the only other guy that we question is, 
can we play T.Y. Hilton as somebody? I have him as wide receiver 31. I think he's a boomer bust option. I think he could. This is a matchup. I think he could win you the week. He could wind up being in the top 10. I'm not disputing that. But being that the Colts, they just use different pass catchers from week to week to week to week. It's kind of just cutting into his floor. I know he's been playing better or they've been using him better as of late. He still had a decent floor over the past two weeks, even though he hasn't scored over the past two weeks. But I still have him at wide receiver 31. Outside of that, I don't know if I want to play another Indianapolis Colt here because just they just use their volume is so spread out through all the different positions. What do you have for this week, Bill? Yeah, I'm right there with you with T.Y. Hilton. Personal favorite of mine. I love this guy, the ghost. He can get deep on anybody. And at the beginning of the year, week one, this Jacksonville Jaguars team got their lone win against these Colts. I think the Colts try to make a statement here. T.Y. Hilton had nine targets in that game, even though his stat line wasn't that great. Now with the rapport with uh, Phillip Rivers that we've seen late in the season, the last five games, T.Y. Hilton's really kind of come back to his pass-catching form that we know and love. I think he's kind of a boomer bust play. He could have four catches for 50 yards again, or he could have that five for 110 and that long touchdown. The one guy I'm really excited about for the Colts this week, Jonathan Taylor, RB7 on the year. He's need, he needs 84 yards and a score to hit 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns for a guy that really got off to a slow start to the season and really coming on strong. But I'm not expecting a ton out of the Colts passing game, even against this Jags defense, because they're without Anthony Costanzo. When he's not in the game, it really kills their yards per play average. And obviously, Phillip Rivers isn't going to be able to sit back there as long as he typically would and let those deep shots develop. Uh, they got to get the run game going take care of business here and I think they ride Jonathan Taylor and he'll get momentum going I think he has a really big game this week he could be RB1 two type of performance and hit the Patriot multiple times Taylor's going to be another enigma next season I believe in the talent I believe in the skill set I don't know if I believe in the coach in the rotation in the team that's one thing that worries me Taylor, I think, is somebody that I'm going to want to take as a RB2 with potential for more next year. Probably a third round is where I would probably have him valued at, maybe a, a, just a notch below some of those other top-end guys because Naeem Hines isn't going anywhere, because you're going to have to worry about Frank Reich rotating. What do you have Jonathan Taylor for heading into next season? I think this guy's a bona fide RB1. Like you said, I believe in the talent. He's not your typical Wisconsin running back. They're, those guys are usually coming out missing a step of speed. And that was kind of the knock on Jonathan Taylor earlier in his career. Obviously put a lot of work into that with the 4-3-40 at the combine. And we've seen that breakaway speed come into play in the NFL. This guy has legitimate speed. It's not just 40-yard in, in, in the, the, you know, the underwear Olympics type speed. On the field, we've seen it. Behind that offensive line, it's really hard to pass on a guy who's going to get the carries and he's and he's behind a great O-line. Uh, you know, this is like a Zeke situation a couple years ago in Dallas. Maybe not the same player as a Zeke, but when that offensive line gives you three, four yards before you get hit, you know, the ceiling is, is up there for me. I'm high on Jonathan Taylor, and I really like what I've seen as of late. The yeah, big, I mean, question, it, it, big question mark for me, though, with him, looking at next year, what are they going to do at quarterback? I'm not hip on Rivers. I doubt he comes back. Jacoby Brissett's not going to be the guy there. Uh, you know, what do they do? Do they make a play for Wentz somehow, some way, make the money work there? Or what do they do? The quarterback situation will affect how I feel about Jonathan Taylor and which guys I'm willing to draft him over kind of in that mid-range, low-end RB1. 100% agree. That's what I was just about to get into. I, I disagree with you on one thing. I think Phil Rivers is coming back. They have that team option. Frank Reich's already talked about wanting to bring him back for another season. 
And that's kind of where I hesitate on Jonathan Taylor because that means Naeem Hines will still be a factor enough where his ceiling will get limited in some games. And that's why I stay away or I, I, I hesitate on the idea of drafting Jonathan Taylor as an RB1, even though he very well could be and should be next season. It's because of that factor. I believe Phillip Rivers will be back again next season, unfortunately. Let's move into the Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs here. The Chiefs, they've already come out. They're, they're benching Mahomes. They're benching Le'Veon Bell because he didn't practice yesterday. So it sounds like it's going to be Darrell Williams and Darwin Thompson are going to be the two running backs. Uh, they're benching Travis Kelsey. They're benching Tyree Kill. Sammy Watkins is banged up, so he won't be out there. So you're talking to Marcus Robinson. You're talking to Michael Hartman. You're talking Darrell Williams. You're talking Darwin Thompson with Chad Henney at quarterback. Are you playing anything? I'm not too excited uh, about any of these guys. I will say Darrell Williams might be an interesting play because he's going to get the volume. Le'Veon Bell missing a little bit of practice time with a banged up knee. And I think they need him healthy in the playoffs. It's just a guy that the defense respects a little bit different. But we've seen Darrell Williams have some really good games. He's been very productive in a little limited opportunity and when he's had to plug in in previous years when guys are going down with injuries. So I do like him on the Kansas City side of the ball. Uh, other than that, maybe if you're uh, needing a really, really, really high ceiling. I mean, this is a boomer bust. I mean, three points or nothing or a big boom. McCall Hardman, he's going to be in there getting a little more targets than we would typically see. This guy's fast, and I think they might have some fun trying to get him the ball. However, don't bank on it. If you're in the mood for some fun, maybe throw him in there. That would be about it, because I think the Chargers are going to score in this game, and they want to let the Chiefs know that they're coming. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. Harbin, I will look at him for DFS purposes and tournament plays as a contrarian play as a guy who can take one to the house. But keep in mind, it's Chad Henney at quarterback. You're not going to really get any fluidity on the offensive side of the ball. I'm right there with you with Darrell Williams, though. I have him as a top-end RB3, a low-end RB2 heading into this matchup. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. I think with you, he's going to get a good amount of volume in this game. And against the Chargers, they haven't been very good against the run, especially as of late. So I do like Darrell Williams quite a bit. We move on the Chargers side of the ball to amplify your point of they're going to score points. I would expect them to win this game with Chad Henney as starting quarterback, although Anthony Lynn and the Chargers have proven to be choking away leads before. Justin Herbert's my QB2. Austin Eckler's my RB3. Hunter Henry's a top 10 tight end for me this week. Mike Williams is a wide receiver, too, because we don't expect Keenan Allen to play this week. I got to feel pretty good about all these Charger guys. I know Herbert's been a bit disappointing as of late. But the Chiefs aren't playing for anything this week. They've made that already clear. They have no interest, don't care about winning this game, even though it's a divisional matchup, because the Chargers aren't going to get into the playoffs, even if they win this one. Anyway, Anthony Lynn's coaching for his job. Everyone's trying to get momentum going into next season. I think the Chargers offense, to your point, is going to be pretty good. Am I too high on any of these guys? I don't think so. I think that this offense is legit. Austin Eckler out of the backfield. He's kind of working himself back into this offense. Scored last week as well. But a guy I'm kind of eyeballing, I really liked him in relief of Keenan Allen, is Tyron Johnson. We've seen him be productive. Maybe there is a bit of a ceiling there, but he does get red zone looks. And I think you're right about Hunter Henry. This could be maybe his best game of the season against Kansas City. They've not been the greatest about guarding the tight end position. Uh, Mike Williams, you might see a siding with him. How healthy is he? He's out there every week. Uh, but, you know, he's been battling lower leg injuries, and he's not the most fluid-moving guy as it is. But I think they try to put on a show here against Kansas City. And, hey, when the backups are guarding them, these guys should should do fine. Yeah, Henry, I'm big on him scoring a touchdown this week. Herbert has been targeting more and more. He's coming off of the COVID week. Uh, so I just think he was going to be the Herbert go-to guy when it comes to the red zone. 
I'm going to talk about something that I think is going to be maybe a bit hot taking, maybe a bit controversial. And that is, I'm not a fan of Justin Herbert going into next season. Now, the part of this, I will freely admit, be 100% open about, I was not a big fan of Justin Herbert coming out of college. Him having success that he had has definitely 100% surprised me. No doubt about it. But he is a guy who I can tell, I'm watching on film, if he doesn't have that first read, he's not very effective. And he doesn't use his legs the way that he should because he is a mobile guy. And if he uses his legs more, I think it would open things up. But he doesn't seem to do that. Next year, when teams have tape on this guy, and he's not able to hit Keenan Allen for 14 times over the middle. Am I crazy to think that Justin Herbert could be a bust? Because this is a guy who's going to get drafted as a top 10 quarterback. Yeah, I, I think you may be. I, I was pleasantly surprised what I've seen out of this guy. He's made a lot of throws. And when Keenan Allen hasn't been there, we've seen him still play relatively well. However, I do think this Chargers are still kind of missing that wide receiver too. We keep hanging our hat on Mike Williams as this uber-talented guy coming out of Clemson. And the talent is there, but he still seems raw. I mean, what does the guy really do well other than he's big and he was awesome in college? And it hasn't really been all that great. He had the 110 touchdown season, got everybody really excited that, hey, he might be kind of taking that leap. But since then, we've really kind of seen him regress back to what we know he is now. And that's really not that great of a starting wide receiver in the NFL. They need to address that for him. I think they're good at the running back spot. And, you know, Eckler's kind of getting up there, but they've got some young guys that have been productive. Joshua Kelly is a pretty good player that these guys can start using moving into the future. And uh, we've also seen Kalen Balazs be productive somehow, some way in the Chargers offense, but I'm very high on uh, Justin Herbert, especially if you're a dynasty guy, this is a great option for you moving forward. But I do think they need to get some more options around him because Keenan Allen's getting up there. Injuries are starting to catch up with him. And like you said, we can't target him on the Michael Thomas slant style stuff all day, right in front of the quarterback's face. You know, how is Herbert going to react then? If, I think they, we might be able, might see him regress a little bit if Keenan Allen were to get hurt and miss an extended period of time, I think he might come back to earth in that scenario. I think Herbert is going to be my general custard last stand all throughout 2021 heading into the season. It's going to be one of my controversial guys heading in there because I, I have serious questions about him and that Chargers makeup. And we're going to have to see who exactly the head coach is going to be because there's no guarantee it will be Anthony Lynn either. Let's move into the game that probably has the most on the line on both sides of the ball, which is the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams in this one. Rams, unfortunately, for having their playoffs essentially start early are just going to be well behind the eight ball. We talked about earlier in the show, Cooper Cup probably not going to play in this game, probably tested positive for COVID, even though they're not confirming that. But we're going that based on reading between the lines, the fact that he got put on the COVID list on Monday and they are saying that he's not going to be available this Sunday. So that means you have Robert Woods, no Daryl Henderson. He's on the IR, no Cam Akers. He's on the IR, no Jared Goff. He had to have thunder, thumb surgery. You're going to have John Wolford that back there as a starting quarterback. Due to volume, I have Malcolm Brown as an RB2. We saw Jeff Wilson play well. You can run the ball in the Arizona Cardinals. I think they're going to have to give him the ball. You're not going to want John Wolford throwing the ball 35, 40 times in this game if you can at all help it. At least it's not going to be the game plan, I think, early on. And Robert Woods being the last man left standing, essentially, because – we haven't seen much of Van Jefferson this year. We have, we've only seen Josh Reynolds and spurts. They're going to have to lean on Robert Woods to be the safety blanket for a quarterback with very little experience. I have him as a wide receiver too, but I don't have big ceilings on these guys. And these are the only two players in the Rams that I'm even considering for fantasy football this week. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. The Cardinals have allowed the fifth most points to running backs over the last month, and Malcolm Brown has been extremely productive when he's been given the carries. He's a good running back, not a great running back, but the Rams are going to have to rely on him this week with Walford at quarterback. I don't think Robert Woods is really too interesting of a play. The Cardinals, are they're all right in the pass game, but Patrick Peterson probably shadows him. Uh, just, just is, this is a funny matchup for the Rams in this situation. Uh, if they lose this game, they're really hoping for some help to get into the playoffs. And without their top guys, I mean, they're, they're really kind of limping into this game against a division rival that, you know, we've seen the Cardinals be dangerous. This could be a – this is a real rough spot for the Rams team coming into this week. Yeah, I am – right there with you and then on the flip side of the Arizona Cardinals we thought they might be in a really hard spot too but it does sound like Kyle Murray's been practicing sounds like he's going to be available he's going to play how mobile he's going to be I don't know and we've seen this year when he is not 100% mobile he is not himself a quarterback he's not that great and when he has to be a pocket passer however however because the Rams are having so much trouble on the offensive side of the ball heading into this game it might not matter as much I do have Kyler Murray's top 10 quarterback, but I don't feel great about that. He's more of a top 10 quarterback because of situations in week 17 where you have guys like Mahomes definitely sitting. You have some situations where I can see guys getting sat at halftime. So he winds up being QB 10, but had this been week 16, I don't know that Kyler Murray would be in my top 12 of quarterback. The only guy I really feel decent about because he's going to get the volume is DeAndre Hopkins. But again, tough matchup against Jalen Ramsey. This is a Rams defense playing really well right now. And to go to our point of why we like Malcolm Brown, the Rams' game plan is probably going to be to run the ball and try to win with their defense. They're going to come to play. Hopkins, you have to play him. But, again, don't necessarily feel great about the ceiling that he brings to the table. And then Kenyon Drake as RB22, only because he might have a chance to fall in the end zone. Because, frankly, he's been inefficient all season long, especially when Colin Murray doesn't have his legs. But he gets the volume. He gets the goal line carries. I don't think I'm missing anything else when it comes to Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. Like you said, Kyler being banged up lately has not looked like himself. And this offense has kind of sputtered. Even DeAndre Hopkins has had some really pedestrian games. Last time these two teams met, only 52 yards receiving. He did have the touchdown and eight receptions, giving him a real nice floor that you expect out of DeAndre Hopkins. However, you know, when Kyler's not on the move and he's not making guys get out of position, it's just not the same. And this Rams defense is good. Third fewest points to wide receivers, sixth fewest points to running backs over the last month of the season. And they've been up in that range all year long. And Jalen Ramsey, Shadow, and DeAndre Hopkins is not a very good matchup coming into this game. I really like the under in this game. This is going to be a, a real low-scoring game. I think, the, I think the Rams try to suffocate the Cardinals' offense and stick to their running game and keep Kyler and the gang off the field and prevent them from getting into a rhythm. This is a really interesting game, uh, and, I, and I'm really I'm, I'm torn on who I think is going to win this game, but I'll take the Cardinals. I think they might get something late, get down the field, just be able to outscore the Rams if somehow they can stop the run game with Malcolm Brown and, and limit possessions for the Rams and get a couple extra ones themselves. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We're going to take one last break. When we come back on the other side, we got four games to get to up until the 2 o'clock hour. So make sure you stay here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, with more on the way right after this. And hello and welcome back, MD Nation, to the last segment of the last show of 2020 of the season. You are here listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with special guest, Mr. Billy Witt, the senior fantasy football writer 
of Belly Up Fantasy Sports. We got four more games to get to, 15 minutes to do it. So we're going to have to pick up the pace a little bit on the rest of these matchups. And we're just going to kick things off, get right into it with the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. Yes or no, can we trust Russell Wilson this week? I think you can. He'll have his running backs back, Chris Carson and Kyle, Carlos Hyde. That really makes this offense go when he has the ability to keep defenses honest with the play-action pass. That's what they do, and it's what they do best. Last time these two teams played, Seattle was a little bit shorthanded in the backfield, starting DJ Dallas. Uh, he had an all right game, 18 carries, only racked up 41 yards, but did have a touchdown. But with those two guys in the lineup, Russell Wilson is a different player. I agree with you. I have him as QB6, and I have not trusted Russell Wilson in a while now for the past month. He has not been able to snap out of this cold streak. But against the 49ers, there's going to be a little extra juice in the tank. Not only does Seattle have a little something to play for, they're going to make the playoffs no matter what, but they have a little something to play for in the sense of they have to get right. They have to have momentum heading into the postseason. 49ers are so banged up. There's a big divisional rival matchup. No matter what the situation is, these two teams are going to play hard against each other. I agree with you. I think Russell Wilson snaps out of it to some degree this week. Chris Carson's my RB21. I think he's going to be solid. I think he's going to be the bell cow. I think he's got a good chance to score, ultimately speaking, and that's why I have him as an RB2. DK Metcalf, there's no way you can bench this guy. I have him at wide receiver six. I know he hasn't finished as top ten wide receiver in a while. I think he does in this game. He's unguardable. They don't have the corners who can physically match up with this guy. The big play should be able to be there. The only guy I'm not playing is Tyler Lockett because, frankly, they just they don't go to him enough. For being a guy who should be in the slot receiver, being a guy who should be a security blanket, the compliment to DK Metcalf, he has just been between 40 and 60 yards pretty much every single week not playing against an Arizona Cardinal team. That's it. And when he plays against the Cardinals, he goes off. But other than that, that's it. That's only 40 to 60 yards there. And on the San Francisco side, I am looking at Jeff Wilson. With C.J. Pathard and Overheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson has a track record of getting 20-plus carries. And we know with Kyle Shanahan, the way he can run the ball, I know Seattle's been better. Carlos Dunlap, a healthy Jamal Adams. This is not the pathetic defense that it was early on in the season. But I'm going to take Jeff Wilson with that volume in the Shanahan system, a guy that I know is going to get goal line carries, should have opportunities to score a touchdown or two. Feel pretty good with him as a high-end RB2 Kendrick Bourne, Richie James, wide receiver threes for me. I will be entertained by Richie James as a DFS play this week, possibly just out of necessity with no, with no Brandon Ayuk, no Debo Samuel. But ultimately speaking, the pass catching is all going to be about George Kittle, which I can't believe that he's back. As a 49ers fan, I don't want him back. There's nothing but possible potential danger here. But George Kittle is my number one tight end on the week due to the fact that there aren't any pass catchers left. And, he looked good physically last week. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, I'm right there with you. When you have his college teammate, you know, playing quarterback with him, that's a, he's going to get targets. These guys have had a rapport for years now. But I think the only pass catcher really does bode well for in this matchup is George Kittle. You, to your point where Seattle, you know, this isn't the defense we used to pick on. Earlier in the year, it was a lock to start whatever receivers played against these guys. Historically bad about the first half of the season. However, since then, they've really gotten it going. They've been the number one defense fantasy-wise against wide receivers over the last month, and they have not allowed a passing touchdown or a receiving touchdown to receivers in four games. That's pretty good. So last time they met up, they got torched by Kendrick Bourne and Brandon Ayuk. Both guys had over 80 yards receiving 
eight catches, but they didn't run the ball well. That was the Jermichael Hasty experiment for 12 carries for a whopping 29 yards, but he did get in the end zone. I think it bodes well for, like you said, these running backs. Jeff Wilson Jr., he's shown us when he plays and he gets the carries, this guy can produce. He is a pretty good player. I like him back there. They're going to need to hand the ball off a lot because I think Seattle is going to be humming coming into this one. They had no answer for DK last time in this matchup. He had 12 for Buck 61 and two touchdowns. And to your point, Tyler Lockett, four catches, 33 yards, which has kind of been his what we've become accustomed to other than a couple three touchdown explosions. Tyler Lockett's had a really, really uh, not very special season this year. However, I think if the if the Niners try to make a point to stop DK, Lockett's always an option there. But you're seeing Russell Wilson starting to go to these tight ends more and more in this passing game off the play action run formation type stuff that we're more accustomed to seeing the Seahawks do. So not a whole lot of optimism if you're a Tyler Lockett owner. Yeah, we're right there with you, Billy. And moving on into the Saints and Carolina game. It looks like the Saints are another team that are going to play their starters. I'm kind of surprised by that. I thought that of all the teams, they are a team that could use some rest heading into the postseason, the lock of the division already. But sounds like Breeze is going to start. Sounds like Kamara is going to play. Sounds like it's going to be Emmanuel Sanders. Am I missing anybody else from a fantasy standpoint that you're going to be interested in playing this against the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, in the passing game, maybe Jared Cook in this matchup, just because of the lack of wide receivers at that at the for the Saints out of this locker room right now. No Michael Thomas, the other guys, there's a couple young guys we've seen flash, but some of them are banged up, COVID issues, what have you. So it's not a whole lot, but I do think the Saints are playing because this team needs to kind of find out what they can and can't do with this offense hobbled like they are right now. Heavy dose of Kamara and a heavy dose of Latavius Murray because they're just Latavius Murray's been relatively productive, and you can't have Kamara go get a little bit banged up heading into the postseason. Yeah, I, I can see your point there on Jared Cook as well. He's just been so very hit or miss, even with Drew Brees back there, but they, he definitely should be a streaming option. The rest of the guys, to me, are must play. Sanders being a wide receiver three. On the Carolina Panthers' side of the ball, Robbie Anderson's a little bit banged up, but we're going to see if he's able to play or not. Uh, soon we'll see in practice assuming that he does I have all three of these wide receivers as wide receiver twos going into this one Curtis Samuel could actually get a lot of work in the running game again this week because Mike Davis is not expected to play no Christian McCaffrey I'm big on the wide receivers and nothing else but where are your expectations for these wide receivers I think Robbie Anderson is a good option this week I think he's in for you know one of those deep shots DJ Moore picking up steam as of late as he's gotten healthy here. I really like him. He could be a wide receiver one come the week's end. I think this game's going to be a shootout. Carolina wants to spoil the fun for the Saints. The Saints want to keep burying the division rival and get their offense on track somehow. And like you said, Curtis Samuel, he's shown some real potential as a running back. It would be interesting to see if he's given you know a handful of carries, if he does something with them. The Saints have been relatively weak against running backs, five touchdowns in the last month. So that, that could be an interesting play, uh, Curtis Samuel getting reps at wide receiver and maybe some important ones in the red zone. We've seen him get carries inside the five from the running back spot. So He's a very interesting prospect just because of the matchup uh, and no Mike Davis. A team as a whole from a fantasy standpoint that was incredibly disappointing in the 99% of championship leagues last week was the Tennessee Titans. Because you depended on Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis. You depended on these guys to get there. And they all disappointed last week. However, if you're in the amateur hour leagues and you're playing in your championships this week, or if you're looking at DFS, going up against the Houston Texans, 
I'm riding with every single one of these guys, including Corey Davis, who goosed you last week. I don't care. He's been a wide receiver, too, for the majority of the year. Against the Houston Texans, playing all of these guys with confidence. Is there any reason I shouldn't, or is there anybody else I should add? Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm playing all of them. If I have a Panther, I'm plugging them in this week. I just re- – oh, we moved on, did we? Houston Texans. Yeah, Houston Texans. Yeah, I'm playing all these guys. I actually like them for the upset just to muddy up this playoff picture. Uh, I, the Titans, if we've seen what happens to them if they get behind in the game and have to try to throw to catch up. And I think that they'll try to do a lot of what Green Bay did to them last week and try to get out on them early and try to minimize the effect of Derrick Henry. He needs a lot of yards, 223 to hit that 2,000 mark. Titans want to get that, but their defense just doesn't cooperate uh, and match up very well against this team. There's an overtime game in Tennessee last time, very high scoring, and I'm looking for that to happen again this week. Yeah, we're right there with you. And then flip it over to the Texans side of the ball. Let's assume for a second that Deshaun Watson is able to gut it out and he's able to play. I have his QB8. It's again, I mean, like the Texans being a great match, the Tennessee Titans defense is a defense like you just mentioned. You can take advantage of them full throttle, 100%. So even with a banged up throwing arm, I expect Deshaun Watson with his legs, with his ability, with the mismatches that they have for him to be a top 10 quarterback. I love David Johnson. He is my RB12, so a low-end RB1 for me this week. Without Duke Johnson, he's getting the volume in the passing game to amplify the fact that he has finally good matchups to be able to run against. And he's looked good over the past couple of weeks. Brandon Cooks, big week against Cincinnati last week. I think he has a big week again this week against the, the uh, Tennessee Titans. I'm as wide receiver 11. Maybe have Kiki Kute as a wide receiver three this week. He's somebody who's been targeted surprisingly in the red zone over the past few weeks. What do you got on the Houston Texans, Bill? I'm high. I'm real high on them. This team is playing for pride, and they and they want to beat these Titans. And they about had them last time they played, like I said, an overtime matchup. But what we've really seen the last week, last couple games, is David Johnson really starting to produce as of late. 11 catches a week before last, 12 carries for a buck 28 this last week. I think they kind of trying to do some extra with him with the lack of receivers that they have. I like Kiki QT coming in. He plays that spot well. Brandon Cooks, I think, is in for a really big game. And I think Deshaun Watson is, is, is in for a big game as well now that he's starting to use David Johnson as a dump off and not forcing the ball into some holes to maybe some subpar wide receiver matchups down the field for him. Last but not least that we have for today's show, the last game we will preview, the last game we will talk about on this show for the 2020 season, the Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles in a game that will matter for Sunday night football, especially for Washington. Eagles get to play the spoiler. Talk about Alex Smith. It looks like he's trending in the right direction. Somebody you have to keep your eyes on, though. Antonio Gibson was not at practice today. We'll have to see if he's able to practice on Friday to see if he's able to go. Terry McLaurin not expected to play at all because he's dealing with the high ankle sprain. To me, that leaves Logan Thomas. He's my tight end three on the week because the volume's just going to have to head his way. If Gibson does play, I have him in RB16 because even though he's dealing with the toe, uh, turf toe, even though he's not 100%, he still has been getting the volume of work. And J.D. McKissick, if Gibson were to not play, but even if Gibson's out there, I do have him – as a flex option, especially when you're talking about half-point and full-point PPR leagues because they're going to use him in the passing game, do you feel confident in using these guys or anybody else? Logan Thomas, I certainly do. This guy's had 28 targets in his last two games. He's really been the main pass catcher for this Washington offense with McLaurin being banged up or missing time. 
Alex Smith trending in the right direction to play is a big, big deal for this offense. Without him, I really wasn't sure they were going to be able to get it done and get this division one. Uh, I'd like Alex Smith back in the game. He targets Logan Johnson, Logan Thomas a ton. And hey, this guy's a big playmaker. He's shown flashes of being pretty athletic. And if they're going to target him like this, you have to play this guy. The opportunity is there. No Antonio Gibson really worries me uh, for this team as far as a win or loss scenario. But for, as far as J.D. McKissick goes, the targets are there for him. And he's shown that you know he can do damage in the passing game. Had a nice touchdown last week deep down the sideline. They want to use him. They look for ways to use him. So I feel like if Gibson doesn't play, he's a much better option. However, he's always kind of a nice guy that you could find and plug in if you're in a bad spot uh, and need some PPR, half-point PPR upside. Totally agree with you there. Great breakdown. And last but not least, the Philadelphia Eagles. Hurts is not 100%. He's still going to try to use his legs. I think they're still going to build this offense around RPO, but you're also going up against a top defense in Washington. I have him as QB 15. I don't have him as a QB one this week. He's not a must star for me, even though he has been that for the past few weeks because of the injury, because of the matchup. Miles Sanders is an RB two. The only person I'm really, really interested in playing is Zach Erst because we don't know if we're going to have Dallas Goddard at all this week. He's questionable. It really seems kind of more doubtful that he's actually able to go. The tight end position, although Hurts has been spraying the ball out amongst all pass catchers, the tight end position has been the number one target since he's taken over. Is there anybody else you're excited about? What are your expectations on those guys? Yeah, I like the the uh, tight end position as well. I'm a little more high on Goddard than Ertz. They seem to kind of have him in the game more as they get to the red zone. But one, one guy that I am looking at is the other Jalen, Jalen Rieger. He's been targeted 15 times in the last two games, and Hurts really overthrew him. Uh, he made a really nice, ran a really nice route, beat the corner under the safety. Should have been a touchdown. Hurts missed him a little high. He was kind of looking at him like, man, we had that one. And I, I think they both would have loved to have that play back. But he is the guy that was most excited, uh, you know, kind of made it known when Jalen Hurts was taken over that he, he was pleasantly surprised with that. So I think he's a guy we've kind of seen some flashes of some talent, hasn't really had that big breakout game, but I think this is where it happens for him uh, in a game where they got to have it. The pass rush for the Redskins will have Hurts on the move quite a bit, I imagine, and I think Jalen Rieger makes a play downfield that'll leave us wanting more coming into 2021. Yeah, Rieger's going to be interesting one. We even saw Deshaun Jackson, like you mentioned, come in for that one big play last week. He could be a DFS option in my eyes. I wouldn't trust him from a redraft standpoint because the ceiling really hasn't been there yet, although the opportunity has been. But DFS standpoint, you can take that option, that contrarian play there. But I'm with you on that. That's it. That wraps up 2020. That wraps up week 17 of the preview show. That wraps up this season in general for us. We will be back in March. We'll do one episode a week until late July. And then from there, we're two episodes a week and until September. And then we ramp back up to four episodes a week during the season. I want to thank MD Nation for being a part of this show, being part of this experience. And this was our second year on this show, going into the third year with exciting, exciting times ahead, exciting things ahead. We're going to be even more informative, more entertaining, more special for you guys to help you win your championships. I want to thank my special guest, Mr. Billy Witt of Belly Up Fantasy Sports coming on. Billy, where can people find you and follow you throughout the offseason? You can find me on Twitter uh, at BWIT24. We'll have a lot. We have a lot going on for you going into 2021. Billy Up is going to have a lot of uh, events, fantasy leagues, a lot of prize money. We donated a bunch of money to St. Jude's and handed out the 1200 bucks to our Belly Up Bowl, our, our inaugural 
a belly up bowl champion this year, but next year we're going to do a bigger, better, some different formats for people that prefer different things. So check us out. Uh, as always, I'll probably be on your start and sits again. We'll see how that plays out moving into 2021. We're bringing in a lot of talent at belly up fantasy sports. So a lot of guys that want to get chomping at the bit and get some things going and get some stuff put out, but I'll have plenty of redraft and dynasty uh, analysis for you moving into 2021. So come check me out. Let's talk football and let me know how you did this year. 100%. And there's always great content on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Follow us all throughout the offseason. We'll keep you up to date on everything going on at BellyUp MDFF Show on social media, Twitter, and or Facebook. We're always available on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to go. The MD's Change Football Show is widely available to you. But for the last time in 2020, we're signing off. Everyone stay safe, take care, and have a wonderful, happy new year.